everybody, and welcome <laughs> to episode two of the Fifth Observatory. I am still Jed, unless I've like completely missed my sums or something. Yep, and I am still Anthony. Are you sure? I'm fairly sure. Fairly certain, mm. yes. Again, I have a birth certificate to prove it. <laughs> you know, one of these days, you're going to have to show us that thing just to <laughs> prove it proper. Oh, dear. But uh, yeah, so welcome, welcome back after our, after our epic marathon of uh, talking about the Justice League last time. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about things that aren't Zack Snyder and how brilliant he is this week. Although we are, I'm afraid, so we're going to talk a little bit about that this week as well. But uh, no, first off, I suppose we should start by talking about what have we been doing this week, apart from, you know, planning this podcast. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been doing a fair bit of writing on various things. Um, I don't know about yourself, but uh, one of the things I've been, well, one of the things I've been writing about is one of our top secret projects that we can't reveal just yet. That's for the, uh, the Handmade Rockets uh, projects. Uh, but one mm -hmm. of the things we possibly can talk about is the fact that we used to um, make uh, Doctor Who fan films together. So uh, we made Indeed. Doctor Who fan films under the uh, title of uh, Long Barrow Brothers. That was our channel name. That's what we uh, released our episodes under. And, uh, well, last year we realised it was coming up to the 10th anniversary this year. So we've been the 10th anniversary this year. We thought maybe it would be a good idea to release something for the 10th anniversary. Um, so the plan was to actually film this weekend just gone. Unfortunately, um, COVID happened. So we've not been able to get together to do any filming, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, so we're going to film. Um, we have got planned a big anniversary celebration special um, planned. Uh, in the meantime, though, we thought we might be able to do some small episodes as uh, just one of our characters by themselves or just with one other person that we can actually do to get around COVID. So this week I've been writing my, um, my own Doctor's Doctor Who episode, which has been, uh, been kind of fun. Fun, nice. also not stressful, but um, yeah, it takes a lot of thinking to come up with a good story. I mean, uh, well, of course it takes a lot of thinking. What I mean is you don't realise how out of exercise your brain gets until you try, you know, it's like if you used to go running a lot and then you stop running and then you go out running again one day, you're going to get cramps if you've not like, you know, done exercise before. And, and it's the same thing. You're thinking about your Doctor Who stories like we used to do all the time. And your brain gets used to Doctor Who stories, Doctor Who stories, Doctor Who stories. And they say, oh, let's do another Doctor Who story. I'm good at those. I can do those. There's no problem. And then I come back to do it. And it's like, yeah, my brain's like, you know, wheels slowly, you know, cranking like in your rusted machinery in there. It's like, wait a minute, I'll get there eventually. But um <laughs> But no, I'm quite happy with how it's turning out so far. I just need to do the very end of it and then to go back. And um, what I like to do is to do, I plan out the general storyline and then I go through and I write the actual script. Like he says, she says, blah, 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 this happens, that happens. Then I like to go back through and see how many lines of dialogue can I just totally remove and replace with something visual instead. So, uh, you know, instead of, right, I need to find the so-and-so, I show the person finding the so-and-so. Uh, so that's going to be my next process. So I'm going to finish the ending and then I'm going to go back and throw out all that dialogue that I've um, you know, spent ages sweating over. So uh, that's going to be fun. That, that sounds like such a fun process. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I cannot entirely empathise with, um, <laughs> with the process of sort of... Um, sorry, my wife is, is messaging people on a group chat that we're in while we're talking and because I'm recording on my iPad, the little notifications are coming up. <laughs> and that last message was just, I'm sorry, what the hell was that? So, you know, apologies to those of you who are listening to this through an audio medium. 
because you do not understand what the hell. Uh, whereas the people with a visual medium might at the very least have seen me just corpse there. So hello, visual medium people. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, but what was I talking about? I was talking about... Um, so obviously when we stopped doing Longbarrow Brothers, uh, I was still doing the stuff that I was doing sort of up where I live now with people up here and stuff. And that's, it's been a bit on and off over the last, oh, yeah, oh, no, no, visual people, visual people. He's messing with the camera. He's messing with the camera. Ah! Sorry, it's, it's the director in me. The, 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 the shot wasn't in frame quite right. I need to sort that out. You keep talking. That's fine now. Uh, you see, for the, for the people who for the people who are just listening to this through like Spotify and Anchor or whatever you're listening it to it through, hearing me screaming, ah, he's moving the camera. It's completely meaningless to you. So you, you're just sat there like, what the fuck is he talking about the camera for? <laughs> the fucking twat. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's okay. I've given yeah, up on it now. I'm not going to get the shot I want, so it's fine. We'll just we'll, we'll fix it in post, as we say. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but no, I was just. You know, for me, I've been writing Doctor Who fan film scripts off and on, basically non-stop, give or take. I know it's a bit contradictory, off and on, non-stop. You know, I, I, there's not been a period where I've been extensively not doing it, if that makes sense. And I mean, perhaps we should uh, give a little bit of more background in that the reason we stopped originally, <clears throat> excuse me, the reason we stopped doing Lungbow Brothers Doctor Who fan films together... It's because I uh, moved away, basically. Yeah, you moved away to... So, so I like based in West Yorkshire originally, and then uh, Jed then went to university in Hull, which is way over in... Is that North Yorkshire or East? I'm not sure. East Yorkshire, East Yorkshire, Humberside area. Yeah, yeah. so, um, um, you know, it, it may as well be in Mordor as far as I'm concerned. It's too far for me to get to, you know. Um, so I mean, one of, does not simply walk here, after all. Yes. <laughs> so so we, we stopped doing the Lungbow Brothers Doctor Who fan films for that reason. And then I decided for my doctor, well, I'm not going to be doing it anymore. So let's just have a regeneration for mine. And I've got like, you know, an actual ending for my doctor. Whereas originally I think we planned to have um, your doctor um, end regenerate as well. But then you thought about it again and thought, no, actually I want to carry on and do some more. So that's fine. So, um, so then you start producing under the name of? Man at Desk Productions. Uh, the link to which we might put in the description below if you're really nice about it, people. <laughs> but um yeah, no. So uh, originally, actually, Man at Desk Productions was um, what's the word I'm looking for? Man at Desk Productions was started actually while I was in university, and it was meant to be a bunch of different sound films that I made with other people. I've still got those tapes, but the problem is twofold. One is I never finished most of those episodes uh, because of you know people's university schedules and stuff. So a lot of those episodes are in various states of unfinished. And two, rather more important, two. They're all on digital videotapes, which, assuming that they are not all fucked up from being in a bag for the last nine years, all right, those digital videotapes cost about 80 quid a tape to convert to a, a USB stick format so that I can actually fucking edit them. That is the only way that I can use them now. I am... And it, it, I'm not going to lie, I, I stopped thinking about it in any great depth. Um, one, of the guys, one of the guys on that project actually messaged me the other day and was like oh send me the tapes my dad can get them off there and i'm like i i probably am gonna try and send them to him at some point but the thing is last time i tried transferring this stuff the sound wasn't playing it wouldn't work for whatever reason and i don't know why the fuck it did that so it it, it, it bugs me it pisses me off but you know but then funnily enough so when we were doing our 50th anniversary special for Longbarrow brothers this is where we start getting really boring and talking about this all the time. Um, 
But when we were doing that, we had a doctor drop out uh, for various reasons at the last second. I messaged a friend of mine and was like, I'm a bit, you know, we're a bit stressed because this is happening. And he was like, oh, no, I'll do it. So we hastily, we hastily wrote up like a four page version of that script uh, for him to do. And um, I don't know if you can hear the Sims going off in the background, by the way, that okay, my wife is playing. So hopefully, hopefully our audio doesn't pick that up. Anyway, so he comes in, I'd like proverbial last second, like literally the vast majority of that outfit was either mine or stuff he had in his cosplay closet. Uh, and then we bought that jacket that he wore literally on the day of filming, literally in the town we were filming in. So it was like, oh, okay, this is all very last minute, but it came together really nicely. Oh, but then he had, yeah. but then he had ideas that he wanted to go ahead and, and film with for a while. So uh, what ended up happening was he, <clears throat> what ended up happening was that he and I worked together to sort of create, you know, our own series using his doctor. And then my doctor would sort of come in as time progressed. It sort of swapped back to my doctor because he prefers to do audios now, time and stuff, you know, basically. But uh, yeah, so a, a long, interesting journey. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so whereas, um, whereas I decided to focus on, um, what did I focus on? So first of all, when we uh, started doing Long Bar Brewers, I just sort of went into a whole... Oh, well, that's it. I suppose I'm never going to do anything creative ever again. Um, but then over time, I sort of started pottering away at writing a novel. But um, I don't know. I'm a visual. I like the visual medium. So, um, yeah, I wanted to get back into filming, which is when I then got in touch with you about making the Handmade Rockets because I had these yeah. ideas for we could do these films. And, you know, basically, all the time that we spent making those Doctor Who fan films, we could have made a feature film. I mean, it wouldn't have been the best one. It had been filmed on a camcorder, you know, be pretty shitty quality. But, um, yeah, the camcorder that was classed as HD at the time, but um, would not be classed as HD nowadays. I mean, technically, didn't you say it wasn't necessarily HD? It was, quote-unquote, high quality. It wasn't, well, so like... uh, something like that. I don't know. But it, it was a different version of it. It was before HD became an actual standardised term. So it was classed as high quality, which we would you know, now call high-definition HD, but it wasn't the HD as in the standardised term of HD. Um, it was just, you know, the best you could get in the camcorder at the time. Which, which was about... Back in 2007 and on my budget, wasn't actually that great. But at it was the time, 480p, actually. It was 480p, actually, if I recall correctly, uh, was like how it used to upload to YouTube. I don't know if that's sort of like the base standard. I mean, the last couple of Long Barrow Brothers fan films came out in 1080p, <clears> but I think that was upscaling in the edit. No, no upscaling. Um... um to be honest, I think it was, it's just when you actually render the film, so, you know, you edit the film and then you render it into the actual video. Um, I think it's just in the earlier ones, I didn't really know what I was clicking. <laughs> and it's as simple as that, the technical side of it. It just kept, I think in the early ones, actually, I only came up with two options on the editing software I had, which was um, for PAL or is it NSTC, NTST, whatever it is. Um, it didn't really give you the full, you know, aspect ratios and all that kind of thing. It was just like this option or that option. And one of them basically said in brackets, YouTube. So I just, yeah, click that one. And it did it all automatically. Whereas then later when this software got updated, then it gave you the option. So now when you click on, you've got the options of all different aspect ratios and, you know, high quality, high definition, 4K, all that kind of thing. So that, that's why it changed later on. I think it was just the, the editing software actually got updated. But the, the later ones, the quality actually went, went up as well because um, I discovered how to do a little bit of color correction. 
So the early ones, it was just, this is the raw camcorder footage, whereas the later ones were, oh, wait a minute, I can actually affect the color grading and the, the, the lighting, all that kind of thing. So, so yeah, they were, I, I, that's when I started to really get into the, the filmmaking side of it. But then, you know, I was just getting into the filmmaking side of it as we were deciding to stop doing it. Um, but the reason we were stopping doing it was because a lot of the time, it was on my side of it at least, it was me filming by myself in the woods. And it's like, well, this isn't fun. And we were doing it as a hobby. And it used to be a fun hobby, which stopped being fun. But, that's uh, fair. but anyway, but that's how the handmade rockets then became born because we thought, well, let's do some original stuff. But the original stuff we were doing was um, a mile away from Doctor Who. So then going back into the Doctor Who headset or mindset. Uh, although I did actually now I remember, because I, um, I wrote a couple of scripts for you. So um, I did sort of, you know, keep my toes warm, as it were. So, uh, yeah, I, quite, I was quite proud of those, uh, those Doctor Who scripts at the time. Um, but, yeah. You actually wrote those, you actually wrote those, though, before uh, we gave up. Because what happened was I did Man at Desk between... 2011-2013 at uni, uh, which was when I was filming with the guys at university, and that's what you wrote those scripts for. Whereas the last time we did Langbarra Brothers was actually 2014, when Sue was pregnant. Right. I, I don't really remember the chronology. I just remember remember doing stuff. That's, that's how my memory works. I remember doing stuff when, I don't know. Stuff, stuff happened. When did yeah. it happen? Before today. Yeah. Was it long before today or was it short before today? That's the limit. That's, so, that's about it, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. Um, no, the handmade rocket stuff, though, is it's an interesting thing to sort of step into. Uh, and it's interesting. It, it, in some respects, it's easier than doing Doctor Who because each film can be itself. It doesn't have to abide by... I'm, I'm not that fussed. I'm not that fussed personally as a writer about keeping tone with Doctor Who the series because Doctor Who has gone through so many tones. I'm just interested in telling Doctor Who. But at the same time, Doctor Who, there are some loose rules that you still have to stick with, if that makes sense. And one of them, you know, very much is like, I guess to a certain degree, it can get dark, but not that dark, if that makes sense. Whereas the first short film we had involved me getting haunted by a creepy dead chick in the middle of the night and getting horribly murdered. So, yep. you know, a bit, bit different, tonally speaking. So, but, um, I mean, that being said, like, I've written Doctor Who fan films recently in uh, collaboration with some, some other guys. Uh, and I wrote my first F-bomb in a Doctor Who script, <laughs> which was interesting, but it felt completely tonally appropriate. So I was like, okay, I've written an F-bomb now. That's an F-bomb. It exists. It's good. You know, it, it fits because this is like this guy's last couple of stories. I'm in it as a guest character because, you know, the stakes are like up, fucking here. Uh, and so it, it felt appropriate. And then the next thing I know is that it is shits and F-bombs are, are dropping into some more of these scripts. And it's like, oh, I've started a trend. We've <laughs> taken this into adult Doctor Who territory. What? I like it. It's fun. It's good. But it is interesting, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've got like um, Torchwood and Class, which supposedly exist within the Doctor Who world. And those are basically, those are pretty much just like standard Doctor Who stories, but with a bit of swearing and shagging. That's as, you know, about as adult as it got, which for me isn't actually very adult. That's juvenile. You know, it's like, it's adult, why? He said fuck. And it's like, well, that's not adult. That's, you know... It, 
I know the first episode of Torture, I was so looking forward to that. And then it was like, you know, a sex demon from Spanish. <laughs> you know, and there's a security guard who's you know, knocking one out while he's looking at the CCTV footage. And it's like, what? This is it's so fucking juvenile. And it's like, well, we were promised fucking cracker with aliens. You know, Robbie Coltrane's cracker. We were promised that with aliens, but no. Uh, anyway, I would really like to see a proper, something like Cracker with Aliens, you know, that kind of proper adult drama but set within the Doctor Who universe. That would be really good. But, uh, I mean, no. um, but, but what I'm saying, though, is by making fan films, you can actually show that side, the tortured side of it, the swearing and the shagging, that normally gets cut out of Doctor Who because Doctor Who goes out at tea time, uh, so you can't show that. So you can make a Doctor Who fan film that shows those elements, that, you know, the t- bringing in the tortured and the class swearing and shagging and all the rest of it, and, you know, a bit of blood and gore as well, because this is your fan film. It's not a tea time BBC series. So, uh, yeah, that'd mm. be quite interesting. Mm. No, it, it has been in those particular scripts. But anyway, talking about handmade rockets, that is, that is you know, it's its own thing. And it's, um, I guess, it's... <coughs> excuse me. No, actually, I just, I just, you know, I'm drinking coffee while we're talking. Decaf coffee, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, and, and unspecified others. But, um, yeah, I just... The thing that's kind of weird for me, like, with Handmade Rockets is... Oh, God, where do I start? Um, I guess... Because we're not making Doctor Who, because we don't have the sort of certainties of here is the doctor and he is the character of the story, you yeah. know, you know, it's a bit like, it's a lot harder to find a concept. Okay. Like first off, it's hard to find a concept for anything anyway, because realistically the way it works is we, either one of us could have the best idea in the world. And if the other one hates it, we can't do it. All right. Yeah. Now, secondly, I could have the best idea in the world and Anthony could like bits and bobs of it and then he would want to change like a, a half dozen other things because he's the one who wants to direct it and if he has no interest in directing these things but then wants to come put in these cool images, that's something that has to go onto it. So that's a part of that collaboration, right? Next, from a music perspective, I'm the one doing the music so Anthony can say to me, I want to make it sound like a, a $20 million orchestra, you know, and I can say orchestra on garage band sounds shit. <laughs> and, and that's, and, you know, and I, I, I have a bit more free reign with that side of things because technically speaking, technically speaking, we're both musicians. In actuality, I have done a fuck ton more actual music, for example. I don't have the equipment, shall we say. The equipment, yeah. When it comes to the music, though, I mean, I'm quite, quite happy to just say this is the kind of tone that I want, you know, and then it should be a bit more upbeat here, lower tempo there, and so on and so forth, and then allow you to you know, develop the melodies or whatever that you actually want to do. I'm you know, quite happy to leave that in your capable hands as long as, it you know fits the tone because that's the tone that the visuals are supposed to be telling. So it just has to match up. Which is why we have never put the Benny Hill theme into any of these films, despite <laughs> my frequent attempts to do so. Uh, speaking of, by the way, I did. Uh, one thing that we've been doing is uh, my wife has given me permission to buy one orchestral music pack for a particular app a, a month. 
no, but uh, so I've been messing around with orchestral sound packs and stuff, and some of them sound absolutely bloody gorgeous. So I'm I'm gonna have to like play. Um, I'm gonna have to send like something for us to play in one of these one of these days. Yeah, because I mean, they I, sound absolutely incredible. I do love uh, orchestral soundtrack for a film. To be honest, it's actually it does depend on the the film itself. Though. As I said before, um, in general, I'm not a fan of synth sounds for certain things, like in music in general. But for a film score, if you're doing like a an 80s style retro sci-fi thing, then 80s is perfect. Bang bang the synth in there. You know, if I was remaking Blade Runner, I'd you know demand synth in there. But um, but you know, but well, at the same it's, time, it, it, it sort of depends. It sort of depends for me, like um, what the what the sort of setting and the genre is, for example. But you that's, know, so that's what I'm saying, though. Is it depends on the actual thing. Like you know, if it fits, then it fits. But there's certain things where it's like, you know, if I'm like developing, like a, for example, if we're doing something where someone like a, uh, I don't know, someone in a tribe is like performing some kind of ritual and a spell, then something that's more tribal sounding. But obviously, it's just in a tribe, it's a tribal sounding thing. But, you know, those kinds of instruments would be better suited than synths, for example. You know, it's that mm. finding the right tone for the right thing. Um, so having said that, there's the, a couple of the um, Italian horror masters that came out. A, I'm thinking like Dario Argento, who, um, I think it's Dario Argento. He, basically, he, uh, he was uh, good friends with a band called Goblin, and he just sort of shoved Goblin in every single... Uh, Goblin, if you don't know, sort of like a heavy metal, punk heavy metal band. So no matter what was happening on screen, it was just like, like every single scene, it was just like, right, put Goblin on. So uh, yeah, so, you know, what can I say? There were different <laughs> different fields of thought on this. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I dedicate an awful lot of time to thinking about music and, and what I want from music and stuff, but... Um, Honestly, I could be sat here all day. Um, well, let's um, I, let's move on then before we get uh, dwell too much on the on the music of the rockets and stuff. Um, because you know look, we are here to talk about other things, not just our own stuff. Although you know, maybe one day we can just turn it into a podcast just about our own stuff. I mean, who knows? We could do a, one of these as a special around about the actual time of the tenth anniversary of Longmire Brothers. What do you think? Probably. I dare say we'll be talking about it. Probably. But uh, yeah, so what have you been watching this week then? Oh, what have I been watching? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, there's a fair few things I've been watching at the moment, but of course, the uh, latest one to be released from Marvel Studios is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, uh, I know you said beforehand that you weren't planning on watching it. I take it you didn't watch? I. Okay. Full disclosure here, I'm not that big a fan of Marvel, ladies and gentlemen, and <laughs> unspecified others. I there are certain characters I kind of like. Like I watched WandaVision for Vision, for example, because I like Vision. I like Paul Bettany. But you know, I, I wasn't I never liked Captain America, and I never liked Captain America's little band of tagalong characters. You know, I I don't like Captain America, you know in the comics particularly, and I don't like any of the Marvel characters apart from maybe, again, the Vision in the comics particularly. So, you know, if you're asking me to watch a show about two sidekick characters, you know, being promoted to the front rank, so to speak, yeah, fine, cool, it might be good, but well, I, don't have, I don't have that much time, so... Well, um, funny you should 
say about these two psychic characters that have been promoted, blah, 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 because it was very much like a show about two psychic characters who have been promoted to the lead. Um, <laughs> okay, so... Oh, where to start breaking it down? It, right, so it starts off very impressive visually if you're impressed by people throwing money at stuff then um, it's like wow they've spent a shit ton of money on it so when it first starts off you know the big scene with the falcon he's like you know chasing some i think they're supposed to be terrorists or something i don't think it's quite clear who exactly they are or why they're jumping from plane to plane and all this it. but the falcon flies in and it's really 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 expensive so um, yeah, it's impressive if you're impressed by money being thrown at it. But when you actually break down what you're seeing, and you're seeing the usual previs stuff that the CGI makers um, you know, put out all the time. And so you, it looks visually impressive at first. There's a couple of really nice shots, really nice shots, actually. But it soon becomes very predictable, and you just feel like you've seen it all before. Um, so the big thing that they spent all the money on at the beginning, um, when I say the previs, for people who don't know, when you're making a film and you've got like a big CGI sequence, then you go to the CGI people and say, okay, we've got two spaceships flying through space. They'll say, gotcha. And they come out with a pre-vis, pre-visualization. So it's where they mock up, here's your two spaceships, and they have them go, so this one flies down here, then the other one flies down here. Then we'll have the camera following this spaceship down here, and then it's going to fly around in, it's going to loop. And it's like, all right, yeah, that sounds really cool. And because um, the director's not necessarily, you know, that familiar with CG work themselves, they just say, oh, that sounds really cool, do that. And so often you get film after film after film coming out where you're seeing the exact same Starfighter sequence because it's the same CGI people doing it and they all come up with the same pre-vis sequences. Camera follows here and then it loops here, blah, blah, blah. And it was the exact same with this. Just swap out Starfighter for Falcon and the terrorists. The terrorists, by the way, it's it a nice idea. The terrorists like jumping out of this plane and when, you know, those like um, flying squirrel suits that you get so, you know, when you're skydiving and you know, it's got the material stretching from your arms to your legs. So they're sort of like flying down or gliding down and then Falcon's chasing them. Falcon with his jet-powered wings somehow doesn't catch up with them. Don't know how that is, but anyway, there they are in the squirrel suits and he's struggling to catch up with them, but he does catch up with a couple of them. Then they fly down into this canyon. And um, this is again where the previous people are like, so we can have to go down into a canyon. So, you know, it's getting tight. So we've got to fly down this tight space. Okay, but, you know, the guys in the squirrel suits are doing the same. He's got full mobility, remember, because of his big bionic wings. They're in squirrel suits. And, you know, but no, no, he's still having struggling to catch up with them, but they're flying through and there's rock formations with holes in, so they're going through the holes in the rock formations. Stunt people train for months to do this kind of thing through one rock hole. And it's like a big television event when it happens because it's fucking hard to do. No, 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 no. These terrorists who just randomly jumped out of a plane, they know exactly where they're going through all these formations and through the, oh. And then, you know, there's like his wings like catching on the side of the canyon and instead of his wings snapping off and him like, you know, spinning around, breaking his neck. Oh no, just like, you know, scratches through the rock a little bit and he carries on flying. And it's like, this is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. And I've seen it all before. Every single time you get a sequence like this, the CGI people take over, you get the previs, and the director says, yeah, go with that. And uh, yeah, so it started off with some really nice imagery, as I say, and it looks really expensive, but then it soon became very familiar, very predictable, and I've seen it all before. And I'm like, what, what are you giving me? What are you giving me that's new? Why am I paying my Disney subscription for this? Um, but, you know, fingers crossed, that's just the beginning. But then in, in all honesty, it, then the story repeated that of, this is all very familiar. I've seen all this before. What are you bringing new to the table? Why am I paying my subscription to watch this? Um, because the story, I mean, you've got like the, you've got Bucky and you know, uh, 
Sam uh, the Falcon. Um, so it's there, sort of like basically post-war. You know, they're out of the out of the Avengers because the Avengers, are, you know, there's no more aliens invading. So you know, Bucky obviously he was you know brainwashed and he was used as an assassin against his will, which you think would have been covered in like the several films that have been out since the Winter Soldier. But no, apparently it's just hitting now. Conveniently, he's got his own series, and apparently it's still as fresh, even though he spent all those years in Wakanda recovering and all the rest of it. it no, it's just hitting him now with PTSD. Um, the problem with the storyline of that that I have is in the eighties. Every other film seemed to be, um, oh, here's a Vietnam vet suffering from PTSD, and you now here's another Vietnam vet suffering from PTSD, and it's just like, like, well, what's new about having a veteran soldier suffering from PTSD? It's the same stuff we've seen over and over again, and likewise with Sam's story uh, because he blipped out and then blips back in. So his sisters they start struggling to keep up with payments, so like goes to the bank. So oh, I should have said before, and I'm going to be spoiling the shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, they go to the bank to like, you know, try and get a loan, but, you know, the, the bank man's sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, one of the Avengers. It's like, you know, but unfortunately, you've got no credit issues for the last five years. And it's like, yeah, that's because I wasn't here for the last five years. And it's like, well, you know, sorry, we can't give you a loan. And it's like that thing of, like, the soldier coming back from the war and, again, like, struggling to pay the bank and, you know, having to keep up with the payments and, you know, buy back the family home and all the rest of it. It's that thing of, I've seen this all before. And it's just like there's nothing new in it at the moment apart from he's got these wings and, you know, the other guy's got the arm, but they're not actually using them. We had the opening sequence and then they're not using them. And it's like, so the rest of the story is just this really drab. I've seen this all before, especially in the 80s with every other film having the Vietnam vets um, coming out. It's like, you know, this has been done a lot. Um, And then at the end, um, well, uh, Sam gives up, uh, you know, he got the Captain America shield and at the end of the last Avengers film, uh, Captain America gave him the shield and he's like, you know, handing it on to him, but he decides that he doesn't want it, he doesn't feel like it's his, so he gives it up to a museum, he gives it up to the government, he gets put in a museum, fair enough. But then right at the very end of the film, they decided that they're going to make a new Captain America, so this other guy just comes walking out, it like, does not look like a superhero at all, which is literally a dude in the Captain America costume holding the shield. And so he's like, fuck, I should have kept it after all if I'd have known they were going to do that. So it's sort of, that looks like what the story is going to be, is like them trying to reclaim the mantle kind of thing. So going forward, it looks like it might actually become something interesting. But the first episode, if, if, it, would work, if it wasn't for it being part of the Marvel Universe and we know the whole back history, if I'd just seen that one first episode, I'd have just sort of thought like, meh, I don't think I'm going to watch anymore. But um, as it is, I might watch the next one, see how it goes. But I uh, wasn't impressed. Um, especially also the, the Winter Soldier guy, Bucky. You know, there's a bit where he's in like this uh, restaurant with uh, this, this other dude. And then these, the other dude's like, oh, you fancy the waitress. And he's like, shut up, I don't. Uh. But then anyway, the other dude's like, hey, he fancies you. Do you want to go on a date with him? And he's like, oh, shut up. But the other one was like, oh, yeah, sure. And it's like that sort of thing that like, okay, a man wrote this. You know, only something written by a man has just like, you know, a guy going to a cafe and like, you know, the approach the waitress and the waitress is like yeah sure i'll go out with you and it's like so i was like watching it's like yeah this is just like it's got a female director but a fucking man wrote this because it's like going back to you know pre charles angels you know the tv show it's going back to that kind of thing like you know the woman's just there oh i've been asked out oh great and it just i don't know in this day and age after the me too and all the rest of it, it's like really that's the storyline you're going for but then that same woman i noticed she in the end credits, at the end, it showed a picture of her, like, like holding nunchucks or something. So it's like, oh, so she's going to become a recurring character who's a fighter who just, what, did she just happen to meet Bucky? 
or is it a setup and she's going to be a spy? What's happening there? And am I interested? Um, no, not really. So that's my um, that's my quick capsule review of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> you look like you're processing that. Sorry, did I uh, just dump a lot of information there on you? For the people who who cannot currently see my face, my face is, I believe, you, if you took a picture of my face and stuck it next to the letters WTF in the dictionary, you would probably be able to get a, a rough gist of what the fuck my face is doing. Okay, so let's fucking try to unpack this shit. So first off, first off, there was a lot of talk about when this thing was coming out that it was all like buddy cop, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, not even that yet. The first episode did not even meet. Jesus Christ. But no, but the thing is, like, from my perspective, it that just genuinely sounds like they've gotten all the 1980s cliches. And this sort of brings yeah. to mind, um, it sort of brings to mind a problem with uh, a problem with basically fans of something getting in charge of something. So grant me a moment to have a drink of water. Mm. So this is going to be a bit of an extended aside. But uh, so have you ever heard of Jeff Johns? Uh, yes, yeah. co co comic book writer works yeah. for DC. So yeah, so for, for a moment, for a moment, I thought you. For a moment, I thought you mean Martian Manson, Manhunter. Yeah, and then I realized no, no, that's no, a no. different Johns. That, yeah, that's that's John Jones. That's yeah. completely different Jones. But no, Jeff Johns. The the big problem with Jeff Johns, uh, at least according to friends of mine, and I, I agree. Having looked at his back history, is back in sort of like the late eighties to mid to late nineties. You had Kyle Rayner as the Green Lantern. Wally West is the Flash. The characters had moved on. You know, the characters were being allowed to move on. Shit had changed in the DC universe, you know? And then Jeff Johns comes in and he's like, no, I like Barry Allen. We're bringing back Barry Allen. No, I like Hal Jordan. We're bringing back Hal Jordan. Even though stuff has moved on from <clears throat> those people and those characters and those ideas... No, we're gonna bring them all back and screw the old, the, screw the new guys. You know, screw them all over, ruin all their plot lines and stuff. And it it it, it sort of speaks to a larger problem. Because here's the thing: I'm I'm a kind of person who, for certain things, my critique is you're not taking what is good about what came before; you're ignoring it. So that's my critique of a lot of new entries into franchises. But for a lot of franchises, my sort of counter critique is. You're just going back to stuff you like that's old ideas that doesn't actually work. So when people say, oh, I want to make a buddy cop movie, buddy cop movies, like they are good for their time. But actually, if you watch some of them, they are cliche ridden dog shit. They're utter dog shit, you know, full of the same boring ass cliches. And it's like it, it's clear that some some like showrunner person who runs Bucky and the Winter Soldier and whatever or what? No, sorry. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Let's let's. Get our terms right here. Yeah. It's, clear, it's clear that some, some guy in charge of this, from the sounds of it, really likes buddy cop movies and thought, let's make a buddy cop movie with these guys. You know? Yeah. And yeah, it, it is every cliche from the book. Um, by the way, uh, speaking of Jeff Johns, um, uh, I think, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe he was actually one of the guys who was put in charge of uh, overseeing uh, Zack Snyder when he was filming Justice League. So you know that when... Going back to the Justice League. Oh, when, uh, yeah. When Zack Snyder was <laughs> okay. being, uh, being uh, okay. overseen by producers, directors, yeah. I believe he was. I could be wrong on that. So, okay. Me, so, but... 
okay so we will talk about that put a pin in that because we're going to talk about that shit uh, as a sort of coda to this podcast later because that Ooh. oh boy the shit i have been reading up this week about Zack snyder's <laughs> justice league i don't want to make the ch- whole podcast about that but anyway so the point is like you know these people come in and they and they just want to fit things to that mold because they like it whether it's actually like because here's the thing like Okay, first things first, and I can't believe I'm saying this considering that I like Zack Snyder's Batman versus Superman, which is very much a realistic take on the superhero thing. But at the same time, it's a realistic take that still has the elements of fantasy and wonder and the stuff that you go into a, a fucking cinema to watch a superhero movie for, you know? From the sounds of it, I don't really want to sit there for 20 minutes or however long watching a guy have a PTSD attack and a guy have a fucking like well, financial problem well, in the middle. The, like, the, the PTSD thing, it's not like an attack. It's just like the general mood. If it's like, you know, he's like down and gloomy about it. Which, fair enough, you know, it's, it's more like a post-traumatic depression kind of thing, which is, is fair enough as a subject itself. But there's a sequence where he's talking to a, a, a counselor and, you know, the counselor's like, you know, come on, you need to tell me what you've been doing. So, you know, like, um, I don't know, if you're a drug addict, you go for the steps. And one of the steps is you have to go to people that you've, um, done wrong to while you were drunk and you have to apologize to them and say, you know, I recognize I was uh, drunk and blah, blah, blah. So he's sort of doing that with people that were either involved with brainwashing him or were perhaps um, a victim or, or, you know, a family member of the victim kind of thing, which the guy who was in the cafe with it later gets revealed that he's the family, his son was killed by the winter soldier. So that's how they came together. He was supposed to be apologizing to him, but he can't bring himself to apologize and reveal that I'm the guy that killed your son. So instead, they sort of like you know, started having dinner together and that kind of thing. Um, but in the the session, it, it has like this flashback where it's showing him, showing him like looks like he's going to like you know kill someone in this car, and then it's like you know it gets really tense and stuff, and then it's like you know, I recognize I was a wind soldier, I'm not a wind soldier now, and then blah blah blah, and it gets treated like a joke. So it like builds up all this tension, and then it's just like thrown away. So it's like it like under, undermines the whole the whole thing that he's supposed to be doing about you know showing him dealing with the depression, and all that, but then you present it as a joke. Where you you know build up the tension and it gets build up the tension and it gets undercut by the gag so of um, no I'm not here to kill you I'm here to apologise I'm here to say I know that you were involved in it but I'm not going to come and get you so you're free to go. So it does what Marvel does in literally fucking every movie that they've done for the last nine years, which is here's a big dramatic moment let's undercut it. Here's Basically. a big dramatic moment let's undercut it. It's 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 uh, it, it's it's weedonism basically. It's the whole notion that because it like. It's the thing that I fucking hate about people, especially people who criticize like more serious takes on this material or this kind of material. Because I've heard critiques of like, this is a bunch of people who run around, you know, in silly costumes. We can't take it seriously because it's not serious material. It's like, no, 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 no. You can take every story on the fucking planet seriously. All right. And if you're telling stories about a guy who's got major league fucking post-traumatic depression and shit. All right. Frankly, it's a little bit insulting to treat that as a joke. You know, but, you know, the point is, you've got this thing where you've got this thing where every single dramatic moment in a Marvel movie, you guarantee there's going to be some quip or something. Like, for example, for example, Endgame, Tony hands back the shield and he says he made it for you. And that's a beautiful fucking mirror of my dad made that shield in Civil War. Fucking beautiful. And then he goes and says, oh, anyway, I have to give it back to you before my daughter starts using it as a sled. And it's like, yeah. Okay, I get it. This is what Marvel does. It's a quip. But actually, that moment could have done with just a moment to acknowledge, yeah, 
this is our moment instead of just two sec like a second and now here's the quip and and yeah, which, marvel like which i mean um, i mean you said like you know whedonism's the beginning like going back to when he was working on buffy for example in buffy that kind of humor works because it was part of the dna of the show but when it sort of spreads out into everything else and then it's like like you said these two characters you know how long are these characters is it like you know 10 years have been doing the show for the, the films for now something like that and it's like so you know these characters have built up history they, you know they hated each other then come back with friends and then when hands back it is this big moment for them in the marvel universe to then do it uh yeah it just it doesn't no no it doesn't really fit it doesn't really work which is my my problem with joss whedon is that joss whedon is good at doing joss whedon projects but i don't think he's very good at playing in other people's sandpits because he wants to make it a joss whedon project and uh, I mean, I will rewatch Buffy all the, you know, I'll, I'll quite happily rewatch Buffy, you know, forever. But um, yeah, I don't really want to see Joss Whedon's version of the you know, Transformers, for example. Um, I know that I think we're going to see much from Joss Whedon. In fact, that's uh, one of the other things I was uh, watching was a trailer um, for The Nevers, uh, which is a new show which uh, Joss Whedon created. Uh, it's coming out in a couple of weeks' time, I think it is now. But when I was watching the trailer for it, so I know that Joss Whedon has had to step away for reasons. Um, but, I was, <laughs> but I was, <laughs> I, I was sort of watching it and thinking, sort of, you know, is the show tainted by Joss Whedon being behind it? And are we going to see much of Joss Whedon again in the future? Which I dare say at some point he'll return. Because, um, I mean, there's some really, there's some people that have done some, like really bad things in Hollywood in the past that have gone to have, you know, very large careers. Um, but we're not really here to talk about that at the moment. But, uh, but yeah, watching The Nevers, I noticed there was, um, there's a magazine, what is it called? At Home and Woman, something like that, Woman and Home. Uh, it's an online magazine, which, you know, seems like an outdated title for the, the actual thing anyway. But I saw the, the talking about The Nevers and I thought, oh, well, if it's like something to do with women's magazines, maybe they'll address the subject of his, you know, behind the scenes behavior and you know, the way he treat women over the, over the course of his career. Um, but no, they were just largely praising the period drama with uh, fantasy superhero elements. And I thought, oh, right, so it's already getting brushed under the carpet, is it? Um, of course right. it's getting fucking brushed under the carpet. No, like, like to be, let's be perfectly realistic about this. Joss Whedon is a powerhouse in Hollywood and he's the kind of powerhouse that Hollywood likes at the moment, which is superficially, he's woke as fuck. All right. Superficially, he's woke as fuck. He, well, but he's also it's been revealed as not anymore. So he's sort of lost that, lost that time. Yeah but, yeah, but even so, superficially, he always has been this sort of woke as fuck figure. And as long as he doesn't say anything, as long as he keeps his fucking trap shut, yeah, he'll he'll be back, and and nobody will give a shit because yeah, that's, he's at that's one. What I mean, though, is, is he has lost that that title, the woke as fuck thing. Even even superficially, just like you can't take him seriously on anything now. Um, you know, I see like you know, as soon as anything gets announced on Twitter, it's like straight away people are pouncing on it. For it, one example. I mean, having said that, I do. Um, I used to frequent the Buffy fan forums, and um, I, when all the stuff started breaking, uh, I did sort of go on there. I've not been on for years, but I thought, oh, I'll go back and see what they're all saying on there. And the hardcore fans are actually really defending him still. So it's like, uh, yeah, of course they're fucking defending him, but because who gives a shit? if he was horrible and racist, if one teenage woman couldn't be in a fucking room with him as, as a contractual thing, because clearly he'd been fucking shady towards her. Who cares if he bullied a woman out for getting pregnant? 
because it's just fucking weed and he writes funny characters and ah, ha, 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 ha. fucking fandom culture, man. And I say that as a part of fandom culture, but let's get clear here. Fandom culture has its share of fucking blind idiots. All right. Who, who are just like, they don't give, they don't give two shits. They don't give two shits that Joss Whedon fucking shouts and threatens people and ruins people's careers at the drop of a hat because he can get away with it. They don't give two shits because well, why would actually, they actually, actually, um, actually to go back to that, what the fans are saying, it's not that they don't give a shit about it is they're sort of in blind denial and they're saying, well, you know, this Ray Fisher might be saying that, but you know, he's just trying to get attention. Uh, no, it can't be that. Joss, it can't be doing that. It's, it's that, it's, you know, blinkered cult leader kind of thing. And I said, I said yeah. cult, cult with an L. <laughs> but no, here's, here's the thing. Like, like, you know, like, like the stuff with, the stuff with Charisma Carpenter, it's just fucking abominable. Yeah. Like you read the yeah. stuff that she was saying and it's like, holy shit. Holy shit. And then everybody comes out of the fucking woodwork to like, to like back her up on this. Like I am genuinely going to be surprised like the one thing that will surprise me is if anyone from firefly steps forward to start talking about that because apparently the guy who was like the star of firefly is a massive friend of joss whedon's uh nathan fillin i think or yeah, fillion i don't know fillion, how you pronounce yeah. that um, yeah 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 him and uh, alan tudyuk um very good friends when when ray fisher first spoke out alan tudyuk actually put something on Twitter, I saw, I said something about, uh, that's not the Joss I've known all these years. And it's like, well, yeah, it wasn't shouting at you because you weren't a young black guy who was like, you know, getting out of line. You know, you were... You were uh, a, a slightly older white dude. <laughs> yeah, who, uh, you know, probably reminded Joss of himself because he's also into like geeky stuff and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we weren't here to uh, do a podcast on how shitty Joss Whedon is either, so we're... Uh, Thank Christ. It's a subject that we could talk at length about, but I think we should probably move on. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like to, to go on to that topic of, of the Nevers, I'd never heard of it. Uh, I think I'd heard vaguely about it. Um, I will not watch it. I will not watch it because I don't want to support Joss Whedon. But I also will not watch it because well, I, 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 well, I'd never heard look, of it. That, that point there, though, it's not supporting Joss Whedon because he's out now. He's like totally left the project, but... It's not that you're not supporting him, it's all the other people. Like going back to Buffy, I love Buffy. And it's that thing of, oh, how can you go back and rewatch Buffy when Joss Whedon had handed it? It's like, well, okay, Charisma Carpenter, one of the women who he bullied and abused, she's in Buffy. So if I don't watch Buffy anymore, then why is I'm turning my back on the work that the woman who was a victim produced? So it's, yeah, if he was actively writing it now, then I could protest and say, I will not watch that if Joss Whedon's involved. But Joss Whedon has left the project. So now, if you turn your back on it now for that reason, then mm. you're saying, right, all those other people who've worked hard on it, fuck those guys, because Joss Whedon was involved. Yeah, but if, if, if I may sort of offer a counterpoint, now that the guy who's created the thing has left, uh, I would sort of be concerned from the perspective of, what's one of the prominent science fiction series that has very clearly had behind-the-scenes snafus going on for the last few years, and it is very clear from the output of, the oh yeah, Star Trek Discovery, where the guy who created that, Brian Fuller, left, and it's quite clear his fingerprints are all over it, but it's also quite clear that there's an awful lot of behind-the-scenes fracas going on, and it, it's, it's clearly affected the, the product that's been put out there for us to look at. And, you know, at that point, that's not me choosing not to watch The Nevers because Joss Whedon, that's me choosing not to watch The Nevers because I don't know what it's about, particularly. I don't think it would interest me, particularly. That's 
And that's a, no, that's, I, a, that's a valid I, point. But you know, and you know, and going from back to behind, originally though, just going back to originally though, you did say I don't want to watch it. Joss was involved. I was just saying that that specific point. Um, I wouldn't say that because it's disregarding all the hard work everyone else put in. But yes, fair enough. Now that he's been outed, other people probably finished the show. Other people probably did stuff. So regardless of the work that he actually, you know, the image, the, the, the vision that he originally intended, I dare say other producers ended up finishing the show. So it's probably going to have a little bit of a Frankenstein feel to it where other people have stepped in. And so I said, right, well, we'll finish it off this way now. I mean, I don't know Which- where they were in the post-production at the point when he left. So, uh, I mean, but and, yeah, other reasons are perfectly valid. And, you know, and can, I, gonna... and can I be honest, though, is that from my perspective as well, like creative vision matters an incredibly great deal to me. All right. So, for example, um, creative vision matters in the sense that I, for as here's an example, here's a random example. When Notch, the guy who created Minecraft, turned out to be an absolute fucking wanker, Microsoft started removing everything about Notch from Minecraft. I don't believe in that because as much of as, as the man is an absolute fucking wanker, he made that. All right. You, you can't like people who want to well, reauthor Harry. Po- no, no. Like for example, well, no, people no, who well, want well, to. With, with Notch, it's not just, it was a wanker. It turns out he's like a far right white supremacist. So it's like yeah. distancing themselves from that political ideology because that's not just politics. That's like, you know, proper preaching hatred. But my point is like, Equally, J.K. Rowling, people who want to like say, oh, she didn't write Harry Potter. There's the joke going about Twitter, like so-and-so anime character wrote Harry Potter. No, I'm not saying J- that. no, but the thing is, no, J.K. Rowling, with all her problematic opinions and problematic ideas and, and frankly, outdated turfiness, if I may use the term, you know, J.K. Rowling did write Harry Potter. All right. And it's fucking awful. And she is fucking awful. But you cannot take away her ownership of that. You know, and, and like you have to respect the rights of the artist to the art that they created. I mean, in I mean, my opinion, but going back to Notch and Minecraft, I mean, it's still listed as the creator of it. It's just not listed as you know, big celebrator. That's all. They're just not celebrating the man because he's a fucking awful white supremacist. You know, so they're distancing them themselves from that. So, I mean, but that's mm. like that one specific thing. I mean, I get what you mean, and I, I agree with you in general. Yeah, um, but it's just like you know, you have to look into each thing on a case by case basis. No, but like to go to go now back to this thing, the Nevers. Like you know, I imagine if it's successful, if they enjoy it, that they're going to want to make more of it. And I don't think they, they should, because that's not their concept. They probably bought the rights to it, so legally, I suppose it is their concept. But like from an artistic perspective, all right, that's a Joss Whedon concept, and well, Joss Whedon might be the biggest asshole on the fucking planet right now. He might have been an absolute wanker well, to so well, many people, but well, they, they, you know, the, artistically. The problem, the, the, Problem with that though is uh, they should have stopped making Doctor Who about fifty years ago. No, but that's different because it's no, it's different. Here's the thing: what we're talking about is not what we're talking about is not you know somebody voluntarily choosing to leave because they've done all the stuff they want to do and voluntarily handing it over to somebody else in the manner that Verity well, Lambert handed well, it over to her successor. What we are talking about is what we're talking about is. For some reason, right, somebody who very specifically creates an idea, right, so very specifically creates an idea, is kicked off that by his bosses who bought this idea, and they bring in somebody else to finish it, and they keep using that idea to make money, even though they are now completely ignoring the vision of, it's like Justice League, you know, where, yeah, they own DC, they own the characters. I disagree on that because... 
it would be like Justice League if they were going back to this series of nevers and refilming half of it, rescripting it all. It's not that they've, they've commissioned the show and he's just, it's like, yeah, he's the main creator, but it's him and a bunch of other creatives, that, you know, in the writer's room that actually made the show. And he's just not to be part of that anymore. It's not like he wrote the entire show himself and directed every episode and it's all 100% him. And now he's gone and other people are going to be taking over. You know, that's, it's, it's a it's different a, thing. It's I mean, a, it's a, I, I get the point you mean. I do get the point you mean. But in this case, it is that, you know, they commissioned the show from him. So they're paying him for the job of this. And now they've parted ways. You know, it's, we don't actually know officially whether he's been sacked or if he just said, you know what, fuck this. I'm not, I'm leaving the public eye for a while. We don't know exactly what's happened. But in the meantime, they've commissioned him to write the show. He's now left the show. Other people are still writing the show going forward. You know, it's, it, it's you know, it's different. I mean, so, it's different to like you know the Justice League of right we've we've sacked off Zack Snyder. I'll get someone in to to change it all. You know that's I, that's a different thing. I mean, I'm probably a bit hypersensitive to these sorts of issues based on my own personal experiences that we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Um. Which which you lot audience don't get to know about because that's private shit. That's that. <laughs> we'll make a different podcast about that shit. But um. No. So. I mean, it's it's a lot more difficult with television series because there are things like writers' rooms and characters aren't the product of one mind; they're crafted by dozens of minds. So it's it's a little bit different to say, for example, uh, if somebody was making a if somebody was making Lord of the Rings and they decided to completely alter the fucking context of a character, for example, you mean like because, the Hobbit films. Yes, basically. You know. yeah. I mean, this is why going back to Handmade Rockets. The name Handmade Rockets wasn't just like an accident. It wasn't a, this sounds cool. It was, we never want to work in that studio system where people can buy our scripts and then do what the fuck they want with them. We don't want to work in that system where we agree to make a film and then we get sacked from our own projects. We want to make our own films, hence Handmade Rockets, because we're the ones making it. We might not have a budget. Hopefully one day we'll have a bigger budget, but we might not have anything, but you know what? We're going to do it and we're going to make the vision that we want to make. And uh, so... So, yeah, so bringing that conversation full circle, um, that's uh, something going forward is we have stated right from the very beginning is we'll happily accept money from the big studios, but we're never signing a contract that gives them the power, that gives them the control. That's just not going to happen. I mean, this is, this is it, is that, you know, from my perspective, you know, as, as somebody who's largely written novels and thus had a lot of control, you know, about everything that I've ever created, you know, I, I'm... I'm big on that. I'm big on like having that kind of control over stuff and, and not <sighs> the artist's vision, basically. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm big on that shit. I mean, it's like diff different mediums. Though. I suppose when you actually sign up for the big Hollywood contracts, you are signing up just as one player, one cog in a larger machine. So I suppose when you sign up to that kind of thing, whether it's a TV show or a film, you are signing up to just, yeah, I'll play my part until I get ejected into space. Yeah. I was, uh, I was trying to remember the line from Flash Gordon then for when, when he gets married and uh, Ming the Merciless and so until you get bored of her. And uh, anyway, never mind that when I talk about Flash Gordon either. So, um, <laughs> Which is a pity because that's fucking awesome. But I mean, like, I don't know. I, like, the Hollywood system is just a big pile of, of like, like any time that art gets too commercial, you know, that, that for me is when it ceases to be art. That's, and like, and that, you know. that's my general criticism of the MCU is it's going for commercial over art. integrity, <laughs> basically. I mean, it's like, look at Thor. Now, Thor, the, the Thor films were underperforming, 
you know, no one's going to say they were the best films in the world. But to fix it, instead of trying to look at the problems and fix it going forwards, how can we make it better? They just thought, oh, let's just make it into A, a comedy, and B, visually a stupid cartoon so that you can just sit down, kids can take the brain out and go, ah, look, Hulk's big smash heart. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they killed, no, they killed both Thor and the Hulk with Thor Ragnarok. Both of those characters got killed from that moment on in the MCU. And it was done just because it was, uh, yeah, people like stupid giggles, so let's make it that film instead. So even though I mean, you know, I may... the, the entire planet's getting destroyed, but, you know, it's like, it's like we'll have a gag in a second to, as you said mm. before, it's a Marvel film, planet's getting destroyed, we'll have a gag in a minute to underscore it. Undercut the whole Undercut, thing. Sorry, not underscore. That's I mean, yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, if I may slightly disagree, I'd say Hulk was killed basically the minute Avengers 1 happened for the simple fact that, you know, you've got Avengers 1, which soft reboots his character, ignores his movie pretty much. And ever since that, the only member of the Hulk's little cast of side characters that's meant to come from the Hulk comics is Ross. And Ross has not inter interacted with the, the Hulk or Bruce Banner yeah. once. He it's mentioned a, him once. It, it is. The, the only reason I'd say that it's from Thor Ragnarok is that um, prior to that, actually, no, Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron kind of killed him off with the, um, oh, no, no one's sleep thing with his hand. And, you know, he's like, right. But prior to that, it was still essentially the same Hulk of, okay, my power comes from losing my temper, which means losing control and I become this beast. So my power is also incredibly dangerous. And that's what the Hulk is about. And it's something that we can all relate to because we've all lost our temper. You know, that moment when you're like, oh, smash a thing, break a thing, whatever. You want to punch a wall, oh, I've broken my fist now, damn it. We've all had that moment where you lose your temper and you completely lose control. So we can relate to that. Uh, but then... Yeah, with the Hulk, as soon as they actually start having him like controlling that, you're then sort of like, well, yeah, he's no longer the Hulk. He's no longer this primal force, this thing that's uncontrollable. That is a big part of it. You know, it's like in the old TV show, it was perfect. You know, the classic line of um, don't get me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That was the thing. It's like, no, it's not fucking joking. Don't get him fucking angry. You know, and it, that's for me why it's from Age of Ultron on, onwards, it sort of tamed the Hulk. And once he's tamed, he's no longer the Hulk. You know, I mean, the thing is, like, like some of that stuff, like Smart Hulk and the stuff from uh, Ragnarok was kind of inspired by stuff from the comics. But the difference is, in the comics, the Hulk is a serialized character that has years and years to yeah. develop and years and years to go from being the Hulk to Planet Hulk to Smart Hulk or whatever. <coughs> so you've got years and years of development to sort of see the steps to that. Whereas, you know, yeah. film to film, Film to film, the only time you see him is in these Avengers films because nobody's ever going to give Bruce Banner his own fucking standalone again. Yeah. So, you know, the only, because, the only time you see him is... Yeah, because the standalone that we did with Edward Norton was focusing on him trying to control that power because if he gets released, it's a primal force and you can't control it and so on and so forth. And they thought, no, actually, we're not going to do that version of Hulk anymore, which is a shame because I really liked that version of the Hulk, which apparently is a, a controversial opinion in the world of geekdom, which I didn't realise until it was referenced in an episode of the big bang theory and um, i was like really i didn't know that was an unpopular opinion oh, oh okay yeah but the big bang that with all due respect to the big bang theories you know cast and stuff the big bang theory can fuck off as a representation of geekdom <laughs> so you know that's just my hot well, take there no, Speaking no, as an actual what i mean is um, they made the joke uh, referencing the, the edward norton's hulk and all the audience laughed and were like oh god i can't believe they actually said it out loud sort of thing and i was like what you know, you and your entire audience can go fuck off. 
fair enough, fair enough. Not the audience, everybody sat at home, but everybody who fucking laughed at that joke. Bastards. <laughs> Including the people who watched this who also laughed at that joke, apparently. Yeah, not them, they're all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're watching this, we forget. Don't worry. This is, this is your confessional. We forgive you. <laughs> but, um, but, but no, uh, I mean, it's because growing up, I mean, like, Hulk was one of the characters I liked growing up as a kid. And part of it was for that reason. It's like, even as a child, I recognised that about him. So uh, how did we get onto the Hulk anyway? That's not anything that's been... We were, talking, we, were talking about, we were talking about artistic integrity, I think. But uh, no, so yeah. like, okay, okay. So um, other things that we wanted to talk about today. Okay, so, well, relating uh, to artistic integrity, only slightly marginally is... Um, okay, so The Walking Dead is another show that I watch. I know it's not something that you've watched, but... I've been watching it from the beginning and um, I love it. And it's going to end at the end of next series. And uh, so they announced that they were finishing the series. It's going to end. Um, we're on series 10 now, so it's going to end with series 11. So fair enough. All shows end. So it's going to end series 11. Fair, fair enough. But they decided because it's ending, we're going to film an extra few episodes between the series that's just ended and next series. So the episodes we're seeing now are actually an extended series 10. Um, so these are like, you know, bonus episodes. So it's like a great bonus Walking Dead. So if you're a fan of a show and you get bonus episodes, awesome. Um, the thing is with them, that thing about the artistic integrity, is they don't actually have an overarching story. So it's just sort of like, oh, so let's have these six episodes and each one's going to be like a standalone episode looking at a different thing in the world. But they're not really looking at things. It's just stuff happens that has no actual ongoing consequences. So characters that have never seen before appear die you know like it's like that kind of thing so it's like it's a little bit difficult to get invested because like walking dead you know famously it has like a high mortality rate so you know main characters die none of the main characters are going to die in this because these are bonus episodes before the next series so these are just like you know a bit of a filler so you don't get that tension and also all the bad guys that come into it there's no ongoing tension it's not like these are going to be the next big bad going forward because they're just here for this one episode so that thing of the artistic integrity it's, like, it's great that we're getting the bonus episodes, but there's no real content. It's just, oh, it's the characters that I like in that world that I like, and they're zombies, which are always cool to see. And, um, oh, nothing's happened. So um, I'm enjoying them. Don't get me wrong. It is still Walking Dead. I am still enjoying them. But, yeah, I know, you kind of feel like they just got offered, here's a bunch of money, go make some more episodes. And everybody went, yay! But nobody had any real ideas of what to do. You know, I mean, it could have been like a miniseries. They could have had like a mini series arc and you know big bad character but when it first came back there was a character that looked like it was going to be part of something bigger but then it's not gone back to her again and then you know the next episode has like these other characters and they don't get brought back and then another one don't get brought back again and it's like ah i get it so each episode is just a standalone thing just to fill a gap until the next series starts right okay but if they just sold it that was the beginning fine fair enough but it wasn't it was like no the series continues and i don't know i just feel it feels a bit cheap you know and it's that artistic integrity it's like, no, not so much. This, this is commercial. This is, um, you know, here's a paycheck. Go and make some more episodes. I'll, I shall take your paycheck. I have no stories for you, but I shall take the money. But, um, I mean, it's interesting it, it, that you're sort of, it's interesting that you're sort of complaining about what is essentially episodic television when no, no, I mean, one of the other... If, no, that's but here's what, the if that's what The Walking Dead show was about, then that would be fine. But it's not what The Walking Dead show is about. Walking Dead is about stakes. It's... it's I mean, I don't mean like vampire killing stakes. You know, it's about it's about characters. It's about the human drama. It's about like, like what's going to happen. Are these characters going to get together? And they're not going to get together because there is romance in the apocalypse. 
uh, as I said, there is a high mortality rate. So it's like, oh, shit, these characters could actually die at any given moment. They're in a tense spot. One of these characters could actually get killed here. But there's none of that because like, this has to carry over. Between series 10 and 11, they have to carry over. And so these are just like the filler episodes. So nothing's going to happen. Nobody's going to die. Nothing big's going to happen with any of the relationships. We're just going to see people living, existing, encounter an obstacle, overcome the obstacle, move on to the next thing. And it's like, right, there's no tension. There's no drama. It's lost what The Walking Dead's about. So these few episodes, it's not like what, it's not The Walking Dead, really. It's, like, it's just like small, small stories set in The Walking Dead universe, basically. And, and I say that as a big Walking Dead fan who's, as I say, watched it from the beginning and, you know, I watched the after show, The Talking Dead and all the rest of it. And I watched all the spin, you know, Fear the Walking Dead and, um, you know, the, what's it, The World Beyond, the latest one, uh, which, you know, neither of which are, um, you know, anywhere near as good as the original series, but I uh, still watch them all anyway. But uh, yeah, that's just, uh, yeah, just worth mentioning along the way. That's just my gripe of um, the, these current episodes we're getting at the moment. I mean, I mean, you know, it's content and I'm grateful for it. It's just, it would be nice if it had been set out as a series so that, you know, you actually felt there were some stakes there. I mean, fair enough. I, as I say, I'm not a particularly big fan of, increasingly, I'm not a particularly big fan of the zombie genre in general because I feel like it's been massively overdone. Yeah, and it has because we, of the success yeah. of The Walking Dead. So. And, and to be honest, we've had our conversations, I think, in the past where I've sort of made it clear that, I can't get invested in a story where anyone can die, you know, because for me, I like characters. I like characters oh. who, no, here's the thing. I like characters and I like meaningful deaths. All right. I like it. They, they are meaningful. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're meaningful because they could happen at any time. You know, they're not meaningful because the character arc is, you know, here is okay, a character. Right. Okay, here is yeah, a character's no. goal. They're, they're not meaningful in the sense that you're talking about, but, it's because it's going for realism over story kind of things like, yeah, they don't have the big epic moment of death because it's real. But that's the show It's the fact that because anybody can die at any given moment, the stakes are real and you actually get concerned. And that's why I don't care about it, because I don't watch fantasy television, which I class zombie fiction as for realism. I watch it for at least partially escapism. And that would be the, it's the same reason. No, no, no. <laughs> and that's, for example, I, that's one of the reasons I'm not particularly a big fan of Game of Thrones. I mean, I mean actually, like going back to the zombie thing, that's a big thing in the zombie genre is every single zombie film, you have a cast of characters and a bunch of them will die by the end of the film. And this is a series, is the same thing. That's what the zombie genre is. How are you going to survive yeah. and which ones are going to survive? Yeah, but you know what the difference is? The difference is a zombie film is one film, okay? So... By about 15, 20 minutes in, you can usually pick out final person, other final person, you know, possibly supporting final person who dies in the last 10 minutes. You can pick that out, all right? You can invest in those characters. And yeah, if there's like a Dawn of the Dead, where there's a fucking thing at the end of it where it's implied that they all die, fair enough, end of thing. But to draw that out over 10, 11 seasons, you know, like well, it might work really well. It might think, work really think... well, but... I think the problem is that you've sort of already in your head decided that's what it is. And I don't think it's what you think it is. I think that's the problem is in your head, you've decided there's this thing where anybody can die any minute. So what's the point of getting invested? Whereas actually when you watch it, the point that anybody could die any minute is why you get invested. You want them to survive. That's the whole point of it. That's what drives a lot of the drama. It's, but, um, okay. 
Okay, but so now we come to the same problem I had with Game of Thrones because you've got the two problems of really massive expanded cast where anyone can die. All right. Okay. Out of this cast of like, so, so to take Game of Thrones as an example, out of that cast of like 20 people, whatever, all right, I cared about Tyrion Lannister and Jon Snow. Okay. I cared about those two characters. Yeah. And that's not two of the most popular ones. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, notwithstanding the fact that I wanted to care about Rob Stark, but by the time I got into Game of Thrones, Rob was dead. I wanted to care about Ned Stark. He died in the first season. I wanted to care, you know, I wanted to care about Oberyn Martell. He got killed, all right? And, and you know, and the thing is, okay, by the time you get to that moment of, okay, Jon Snow getting stabbed at the end of season six or whatever, all right, and Jon Snow's dead. By that point, I was like, okay, the people that I, like, I liked and I wanted to follow to see how their story ends, oh no, they all just fucking die. And, and they die in, in really perennially yeah. unsatisfactory ways. You know, well, and, and... I disagree with that, but the, the difference with Game of Thrones is they killed off all the good characters. Well, they killed off a bunch of good characters, but they didn't replace them with any good characters. Uh, that is an issue that I have with Game of Thrones, is that by the time you get to the end, it's like, oh, and those ones survived. It's like, oh, just those ones. It's a bit disappointing that nobody else got brought in. Whereas with such as Walking Dead that we were talking about a moment ago, they do bring in other characters as it goes along and you do get invested in other characters. And it's like, you know, it's a circle of, you know, you know, then you do get the thing like, right, I want these guys to survive. Are they going to survive? Are they not going to survive? With Walking Dead, there's basically like two characters that we know are never going to die. And anybody else is like fair game, you know, could die kind of thing. Could, hey, but, not will, oh, okay, but, but could. Okay, so, so the question I would sort of have then, you know, God, we're turning... Sorry, sorry, listeners, we're turning this into a debate about Walking Dead and the merits of this kind of storytelling. Okay, so you've got this cycle, right? Well, any, char any character could potentially die yes. and then they get replaced by a new character and you get invested in them. Well, no, okay. no, 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 you're simplifying it down so they die so they're replaced with this person. No, no, what I'm saying is new characters get introduced as, a so as the show goes along. Those new characters could die and the old ones might carry on. You don't know who's going to die. It's not simple as... Character A dies, but character B has been brought in to replace them. No, but my, my point is, okay, that's an oversimplification, but my point is, okay, characters, you know, here's a character that dies, a new character is brought in, any character could die, we know two of them won't. Okay, you, your statement earlier, the investment is in, we want these characters to live. Yes. They're not going to. But, you know, again, you're stating that the premise is, anyone can die, so they're probably yeah, yeah, not no, going no, to. No, you're... Right, you're <laughs> You're saying they're not going to, they're not going to, as if they're all going to die. I said anybody can die. The potential is that it drives the story. Anybody can die. There are actual real stakes in this world because they can die. They might die. They could die. It's not that they will die. It's not that you're watching the show and just like watching them one by one get picked off. They can die. You want them to survive. Who's going to survive? I hope it's not that one. They're my favourite. I hope it's that guy because he's a dick. Oh, no, my favourite's died. The dick's still alive, but these other characters are here still, and I'm quite invested in a lot of them as well. I hope that they, you know, it's a, it drives the story forward because otherwise, it's just in a zombie apocalypse, right? A TV series about a zombie apocalypse where none of them die, that's going to get really fucking boring. I'm not, I'm okay. I'm not saying I don't like character deaths though, all right? I'm saying it's very hard for me to get invested in a series where you have this big ensemble cast. I might only be invested in one or two of them, and then said one or two die and more to the point because my sensibilities as a as a guy who likes characters having deaths that are meaningful to their arc all right you know i like it when okay here is character here is goal 
character overcomes goal. Goal overcome. Okay, part of that overcoming might be that the character dies. All right. So I know for a fact that there are characters in, you know, The Walking Dead. All right. Because I've done my research a bit. I know for a fact that there are characters who have character arcs, overcome the goal that they want to achieve, and then they die. Or that their goal, all right, specific goal, involves dying. So I think, um, oh, God, what's her name? Sonequa uh, uh, Martin-Green's character. You know, part yeah. of her goal, my understanding is part of her goal involves, you know, protecting her friends. So part of her goal is the sacrifice, the dying, to become the zombie, to attack Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character. So that, that's fine. Okay? But then, you know, there's characters who, and obviously I could be mistaken in this, there's characters who they're introduced, you can get invested in them, but they don't ever overcome this goal thing. They just die. And it's, you know, it's not, to me, that's not satisfying. Well, and if you only... Well, yeah, but I don't find it satisfying if... I find it formulaic if every character goal, achieve goal, and then they can die because they're now they've achieved the goal. It's, yeah, but it's the you... fact that they can die at any time makes it interesting. It's it. I, suppose, I suppose it comes down to... I suppose it does just come down to I like... I like that it has the stakes, so you don't know who's going to survive, and that's part of it is who is going to survive. Whereas I, you want the big hero and to follow the big hero kind of thing. It's no, like, I, that's a, that again is a bit of an oversimplification, though, because you know. Well, it's just what, what I'm, I'm hearing is really just like, like character goal overcomes a goal. It's like well, what I hear when you say that is like oh, so you're just following a formula. You see, and for me, it's like. When you when you anybody can die at any time, you're going out of the formula, so you don't know what's going to happen. It's it's unpredictable. You know, I don't want to sit yeah, there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. With all due respect, though, every single movie ever made is predictable, because at the end of the day, for example, you go into something like even even Justice League, even Batman versus Superman, even the really great superhero films. And you know that said superhero film is going to involve fighting a big CGI monster or a big villain big CGI bust up and somebody's going to be like the bad guy is going to be defeated at the end of it. All right. That is how that's a formula. It's formulaic. And my big belief as a writer is all right. Formula like, ex, you know, the tropes, all that stuff is brilliant. You, you do that. The point is you do it well. You really delve into it. You really bring it out there. All right. I disagree because, um, if you openly say, well, here's my script, here's a new film that's coming out, we're following all the tropes, but we think that we do it really well in this one, I'm more likely to watch something else completely different because I'm not interested in seeing those things done again, even if it is done really well. But, but going back to what you said, it's like, no, not everything does follow the formula. And again, that's why it's not everything is predictable, you know, demonstrably by the fact that anybody can die in a film and you don't know who's going to die in, in Walking Dead, sorry, not in a film. But because anybody can die, it's not predictable. You don't know as an overall thing, you know, if that guy's the bad guy, they're probably going to get it in the end at some point, but it's going to be a long thought out thing before they actually get there. You know, and in the meantime, it's no, it's not predictable. You don't know who's going to get it. You don't know how they're going to get to the thing in the end. So many times, you know, you have twists and turns in stories, but I mean, I, mean, I really didn't feel we we're going to be talking this much in depth about Walking Dead, but, um, but no, I, I totally disagree with the thing of everything is predictable. It's not other than the good guy wins at the end, unless the story is about, not everybody wins, in which case, no, the good guy doesn't win at the end. But, you know, it's, you're not going to get that in a big Marvel superhero film, for example. Those ones are definitely going to be the formula, good guy wins I at mean, the end. I mean, I disagree there, because Infinity War happened. But <laughs> Yeah, Infinity no. War, which was part one of a two-part, and in the end, 
everybody survived apart from Vision, who then got brought back to life later. Again, okay. there are no stakes. You know, the only one, you know, yeah, I am yeah, but now, one. yeah, but now you're saying that you know, in order to have stakes, characters have to be able to die, which again, I would disagree with because well, yeah, there's no you know, tension if no, if there's no actual jeopardy for the characters. But the point is that there is jeopardy. You believe that they can be defeated, even though, yeah, fine. It's like, okay, why do you watch Doctor Who then? Because again, Doctor Who doesn't really matter how it happens. At the end of every episode of Doctor Who, unless you know that there's a regeneration well, at the end of it, the good with, guys win. Well, with Doctor Who, the thing I like about Doctor Who is normally it's a case of yes, we know they're gonna they're gonna you know say it's a two pound, there's a big cliffhanger. Oh my god, how they're gonna get out of this? We know they're gonna get out of it. But with Doctor Who, it's how are they gonna get out of it? We know they're gonna. How are they gonna do it? Because normally with Doctor Who, when Doctor Who's done really well, it's some interesting way to get out of a problem rather than just oh we'll fight our way out of it and pew pew laser guns which is what, unfortunately, a lot of other films do. And I'm not really interested, how are we going to get out of this? By using our laser swords. All oh, right, great. You know, but that's why Doctor Who, for example, is a different one, because normally it's the Doctor using their brain and figuring, figuring out some other way to actually overcome the, you know, the big bad thing. And it's normally when it's done well, you don't see how it's actually going to be done. And it's like, ah, that's clever. When it's done well, unfortunately, a lot of episodes are not done well. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, they're done that way. That's a bit lazy. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just a different kind of storytelling ethos. I, I look at it a different way. I mean, it's, it's again, I get. I know again. I can't get. I can't get invested in characters with an anyone can die attitude. And because I again, can't get invested in characters which just following the formula, and you know they're all going to survive. It's like well, even though that's like ninety percent of, even though that's like ninety percent of fiction. Which well, would, not the fiction I consume. I don't know the fiction you're consuming. Zach, no, Zack Snyder's Justice League. You get invested in the characters. It is. It's really, really well done. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just said the stuff I consume and you've gone to Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like, that's the only thing I've ever seen before. I'm talking about like, you know, the books and films and TV shows, other things that I've watched and read and all the rest of it. The things okay, I tend again, to watch and stuff like, okay, tend to like be. The, the, things, the things that you tend to watch though, like for example, you were talking about Buffy. Okay, yeah, yeah. some minor character might die in a big event thing. All right, a big event thing, mind you, where that's, you know, part of the formula of character yeah. arc. Or in the case where it's somebody like Tara getting killed off, she's getting killed off to be the woman in a refrigerator for Willow's arc, you know. But that's formulaic in a way. Yeah. That's very form. I mean, that's become yeah, the yeah. new no, formula. No, I, I didn't say that everything <clears throat> I watched was it. What I'm saying is those are the things that I prefer and those are the things I tend to gravitate towards. I'm not saying that everything I enjoy is that way. You're saying that you know those and now going forward like new stuff that's coming out i tend to go increasingly towards that because i'm just i'm really just not interested in the same the same hero journey being shown over and over again it's it bores me you know it's like you know i watch it for something if it's like you know really well written then yeah i'll watch it for like you know the great dialogue or there's an actor that liking it i'll watch it for their performance but on the whole the stories tend to bore me these days because it's, it's been seen before it's been done before over and over again so um yeah that's how hmm. it. it depends on what we're actually watching, what films out this week or what films coming out, what TV shows. If that's all you're seeing, then I, I'm just, I mean, maybe that is why I'm not that interested in the Marvel Universe, because I've got so many films in that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they've all I mean, been the, in the same hero journey, even though like different stories, sure, but it's the same. The same I mean, the problem I, have, the problem I have with Marvel is, you know, the, the, Okay, the problem I have with Marvel is it's formulaic, but it's not formulaic in the sense of stuff like the good guy will win at the end. It's formulaic in the sense of you guarantee 
here is a villain. They're not going to be particularly complex or well thought out. They're not going to have particularly interesting motivations. They're just going to be bad, probably a bit funny too. There's going to be quips. There's going to be laughs. There's going to be a big CGI bust up at the end. The end. And, and it's, you know, and for me, like, you go to things like, you know, what's a really good example? I don't know. It's just, you know, I feel like, you know, formulaic, there are ways to take the classic existing tropes and to reinvent them and, you know, re rejig them and work with them to create something new. And part of that is the specific characters that you're taking through that journey and how they react to that. And part of that is the particular threats that they're facing. All right. So for me, for example, the reason that the sequel trilogy is boring as fuck, you know, in Star Wars, for example, isn't that it's following the same classic hero's journey tropes. It's that it's following it in a really boring way and it's not doing anything new with it, That's you true. know? So, you know, I believe you can take any trope, anything. You can take the Tambellian hero's journey and you can make something absolutely amazing and new and fresh with it every time, as long as you're dedicated to actually going in and creating interesting characters that you want to follow that story through with. Right. Here's right? the problem, though. You can do it, but because everybody's following that thing, you've got to watch 50 films before you actually get to one that does make something interesting. And so if you've sat down and you've watched 45 films that hasn't done the interesting thing, if you come to me and say, I've done, and you have actually made that film, you've made the one that's really, really good, but I've just sat through 45 that have been dog-turred, and then you come and say, oh, and it's like, well, no. I'm not, I'm not going through this for a far to six time. You might have made the best one, but I'm done. I'm, I'm just not interested in seeing that again. Unless you can tell me something that's another selling point. Like I said, if I see a trailer that you've made and in the trailer, the dialogue looks really good. They've got an actor that I really like, so I'm going to you know, follow that actor. I always watch their films. I might watch it for that actor. That kind of thing might catch me and I'll go and watch it. But in general, no, I'm not really interested in seeing that again. It's that, again part of it it's how much does it follow the same old formula because it is just again and again and again and again and again fair enough then so That's i believe it. yeah so sort of interesting that we're talking about formulaic uh because you've been doing a tng rewatch apparently yeah <laughs> so <laughs> that's like um You've just been complaining. You've just been complaining about formulaic and about episodic. And now we're going to be talking uh, no, no, about no, the next no, 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 no. I'm not complaining about episodic in general. I was complaining about Walking Dead being given these six extra episodes and just doing episodic things has no consequences because the whole ethos of Walking Dead is there are consequences. People die and so on and so forth. If you want to defeat the villain, you have to work for an entire series to defeat the villain and actually work at it. It's not just a series of stuff happening and then at the end one big hurrah and you defeat them. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, TNG is nostalgia. It's comfort food for me. It's like, like, you know, if you're feeling ill, so, you know, you have a bowl of soup and, you know, you curl up on the sofa with a warm blanket. That's what TNG is for me. And it's because I've seen like every episode, like, you know, 10 times over, you know, back in the day, it used to be on the Sky television here in the UK. And it used to be on every single weeknight on Sky Television. So back when I was uh, living at my parents' house as a young man, they had Sky TV. So I would watch it start from episode one all the way through to the end, and then it would loop and start again back from episode one. And I would watch every single episode, and then it'd go back to the beginning, and I'd watch them again. And it'd go back to the beginning, and I'd watch them again. And so every single night I'd watch them, and I'd keep, you know, because it's just a show that I really loved at the time. So now 
Um, now that I'm married, uh, Mrs. Treasure has seen most of the episodes. I don't know if she's seen every single one, but she's seen most of them. Uh, but we've never actually sat down and watched them together. So it was a few weeks back. Um, there was nothing on the TV. And we thought, oh, we've got Netflix. Let's stick on the TNG and uh, sit down and watch that together. And it's interesting watching it with somebody else and seeing their take on characters. And because I've always watched it by myself, I know we've like, you know, chatted about this and that every now and then, but I've never really watched an episode with someone Apart from the finale, I watched that with a few mates at the time. But uh, yeah, so it's nice watching uh, watching the show and hearing Mrs. Treasure's take on it. But also, now that I'm older and I'm going back, to, I've not seen series one for quite a while now. I've seen a lot of um, you know like series five onwards, you know, like when I caught it on late night TV or whatever. But watching series one, like seeing how the characters have actually changed. I don't mean how they've developed, but how the initial concept is like completely different to what they ended up being. Um, for example, like Jordy is one of my favourite characters. I love Jordy. But seeing him like, in the first series and he's like, oh, he needs to go and fix a thing in engineering. And he's like going down there and he's going, all right, let's do this. Woo, yeah, let's fix a thing. And he's like, he's like, that's not Jordy. What the fuck? You know, Jordy's the slightly insecure guy who like, knows his stuff, but he's not like bragging about it. And he's just like, but he's like, woo, yeah, I'm going to do this. Woo. And it's like, wow, that character really changed over time. And it's like, you know, little things like that that, you, know, you pick up on as an older fan that you know I didn't necessarily pick up on when I was younger, but um, but yeah, it's also also some of the slightly um, hmm, is this episode racist that kind of thing as well that you see so like nowadays, which at the time I didn't really consider. And um, Code of Honor, you're talking about Code of Honor, the planet of the of the tribal black people who kidnapped us. Yeah, yeah, the black people, <laughs> yeah, the black people stealing our white women. It's like hmm, yeah, that's yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah, that probably is a bit racist. I mean, I know that, but the thing is that obviously we know that the intention wasn't that, but it's like, you know, it's definitely unintentionally um, got, you know, slightly racist overtones or undertones. But um, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, yeah, it's just interesting. And as I say, especially so like watching it with somebody else and, and seeing their take on it as well. And it's like, you know, let's say at the start of the episode, like, oh, it's this one. I wonder what she'll make of this. Mm. <laughs> See, for me, like, so my missus absolutely hates it when I do this, but I'm an episode hopper. I've got it all on Netflix. I don't want to sit through the episodes I've never particularly rated. I want to watch the ones I love. All right. I do that with Doctor Who and I do that with Star Trek, all of the Star Treks, really, because, you know, I've got the option. Why would I not go and rewatch the Doomsday Machine 500 times or Best of Both Worlds 500 times? You know, why the sodding hell do I want to go watch Data Law? When I could be watching, oh, actually, to be fair, of all the season one episodes, Data Law is probably up there for me because, you know, I mean, the thing that, that always interests me about season one in particular, though, is how you can see, oh, OK, so Data is clearly Zon, all right, and Picard is clearly just older Kirk and Will Riker is so obviously Will Becker now, you know, that's what interests me. You know, the fact that this is so clearly you can see the lines of development there. You know, so that's fascinating. But I, I, that's what I love about classic, about classic TNG, though, is it's the sort of story where I mean, for one thing, I love classic Star Trek because unlike modern Star Trek, you've got a series where, you know, nine times out of ten, the people who are, who are the villains, the antagonists, they're not. They're, they're people and they've got goals. And, and nine times out of ten, the resolution of the story is, all right, sit down. Talk it out, okay? You don't actually want to phaser me and vaporize me. Oh, shit. No, I don't. Actually, I want this thing, and this has not been the right way of going about it. 
yeah, I know. Like, too short a season, for example, is, is you know, it's the episode with the Admiral steadily de-aging, you know? Yeah. Like, of all the Star Trek Badmirals, Jameson's actually a really interesting one because it's like, here's a guy from a different time who, who did something that Picard would never do in the captain's chair, but he's doing it, you know, he's doing it to be, he did it to try and make peace. It didn't work, you know? but he's going back to try and fix his mistakes. And he's done something incredibly stupid and reckless to try and fix his mistakes. Here's a bad guy. who's quite clearly the bad guy for most of this because he's taken these hostages. But at the end, he's like, there's that moment of, you know, he's looking at Jameson who's like dying and pitiful and, and shaking and sweating and all that. And he's like, yeah, I've got my moment of revenge. I didn't actually particularly enjoy my moment of revenge. You know, you know, this is back when Star Trek wasn't afraid to be deep. And to actually, you know, show you characters who, you know, they had points and they had reasons to do the things that I they mean, even the Borg, for fuck's yeah. sake, even the sodding Borg who turned into such two-dimensional villains eventually. All right. Even yeah. the Borg, when we first meet them, this is not a this is not an evil culture. This is alien. It's yeah. it's incomprehensibly alien. It's alien beyond the point of understanding. It's not the same thing as evil, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be fair to them, I think that the current Star Trek writers think that they're being deep and so on. It's just unfortunately <laughs> that they're looking across on screen. <laughs> I'm but, um, sorry. I'm going, sorry. Okay. Uh, going, going back to uh, your point about channel uh, episode hopping, uh, that's something that I've uh, traditionally done. And again, going back to watching Buffy, uh, you know, I've got the DVDs back in the olden days when you used to, if you want to rewatch a show, you had to go out and buy the box set. You know, if you if you didn't VHS them off the TV. But uh, I have all the DVDs from going back, way back when. And I would often just like dip in and which is my favourite episode and so on and so forth. And, um, and again, that thing of going back to the characters dying in Walking Dead, it's like thinking about it, it's like, yeah, but that's, Walking Dead is this thing in the zombie apocalypse. That's what it's about. Whereas Star Trek, for example, it's not about that. It is about, right, what planet are we at? This, this episode, you know, it's a different planet, different alien. And that's what it's encountering you know new life new civilizations and so on so i suppose it is like series by series i suppose you have to take it by its own thing but um, okay but so with, with tng i would also i would episode hop and just you know go for the one that i wanted um i would do now if i was watching it by myself um but yeah we're doing like a marathon so I, you know watching because i know that amelia uh, mrs treasure hasn't seen every episode so i want to sit there and like make sure make sure that she's seen every single one it's a uh, my duty as a good husband to make sure she's seen every episode of TNG. See, it's interesting. It's interesting to sort of talk about, you know, stuff like Star Trek from the Berman era versus stuff like, um, I guess, The Walking Dead. So to me, to me, I look at, okay, I can't really talk about Walking Dead because I haven't watched it, but like take the deaths in Game of Thrones where you watch that and, you know, there's this anyone can die attitude except for these people who we know are going to make it to the last couple of episodes. You know, there's this thing. Okay, putting a pin in Game of Thrones because I'm going to talk about why I, I really don't think the last couple of seasons worked really well, briefly. Speaking of pinning, what did we put a pin in earlier? We'll have to try and remember that. But go on, you were saying the last couple of series. Okay, okay, I don't worry, I remember that. Okay, so we'll put a pin in Game of Thrones. But up until the last couple of series, this anyone could die thing for me. I've told, I've said about Walking Dead. It's why I don't get into it because anyone can die. It's difficult to care. But that's why Star Trek's way of dealing with death really works because so say for example you've got ds9 and jadzia dax's death and what gets me about jadzia dax's death is here's jadzia dax here is the character goal that she set herself which is 
get married, you know, have family with Worf. It's a thing that's going to happen. Okay? That's a thing. That's the character goal. Now, first off, the tragedy of her death is she's a character who we, as an audience, we have every expectation that the people we know and love are going to make it out of the end of this. And then that yeah. is getting subverted right out from under us. We have grown to care about her, her for the last six years and she's fucking dead. And she's never going to get that. And there's the tragedy for you right there. The fact that she never meets that goal. All right. But the fact, you know, for me, I got fucking blasé about people dying in Game of Thrones. I got fucking blasé about it because it's like, you know, do I really want to fucking care that we've now been introduced to fucking Oberyn Martell? I was glad I didn't get particularly invested in Oberyn Martell at the end. But, you know, do I really want to get invested in him? Or is the show just going to subvert it out from under me and kill him like they have with all that half dozen other heroic figures that they have in this thing? Whereas with Jadzia, no, shit, I didn't fucking expect a main character to die. I didn't fucking expect... It hits ten times harder because, you know, you're not numbed to, okay, here is a character, anyone can die. So, you know, by virtue of anyone can die, yeah, I'm going to get invested in their story. I'm going to get attached. But I'm also going to keep in the back of my mind, this character is not going to make it out of this movie alive. Not this, sorry, this episode alive or this season alive. This character, you know, especially if nowadays, if you're an internet savvy fan, you look at these characters online, like, were they in the comics? Did they die in the comics? You know, or how long has this actor signed on for? What kind of actor is this actor? You know, do the they generally with, sign up? Um, with um, uh, Sonequa, um, Sonequa Martin Greenwood, she... When she signed on to Discovery, it was like, oh, so I guess she's leaving Walking Dead then. And so it was like, you know, kind of knew that she was going to, well, we didn't know, but we kind of knew because you know, she's not going to hmm. be, you know, a big part of this new TV show if she's going to continue in Walking Dead. So as soon as we saw that she was cast as the lead, it's like, oh, I guess her character She's going to die now. So it was just a yeah. matter of waiting. It's like, is this the episode when she's going to die? Because we didn't, obviously you don't know in the filming schedule where they are. You don't know where the contract is it up to the end of the season or is it just a few episodes or what? So, <laughs> so it was, yeah, that was about as interesting as it got was, when is she going to die? Because hmm. I'm pretty sure she's going to at some point. Hmm. I mean, this is it though, is that, you know, for me, something like Jadzia's death will hit me 10 times harder than all of the brutal random deaths of a Game of Thrones, for example, because... It's, you know, an event when that character is killed, yeah, that main well, character is killed. That's the thing, though, is you're looking at it from a different perspective to me, I suppose. So you're looking for you're looking for big impact kind of thing, whereas in real life, people die. And in Walking Dead, people die. Therefore, Walking Dead, even though it's in a zombie apocalypse, is more like real life. You know, so it's more relatable in that sort of sense. Whereas if it's only going to happen as a big event thing, then you're waiting for the big event. And it's like, oh, Every episode's like, well, I know it's going to be safe on this one because nothing happens, you know, unless you're Tasha Yar, in which case, you know, it's like totally random and just out there. Which, uh, which, which I, I think, which, this is, this is, you know, you compare that death to how Jadzia's death was handled and you think well, no, that's a... Because when Tasha died, though, that was like early in TNG. So when she died and in the way she died, I was like, oh shit, anybody can die in this. Fuck, you know, I'd better, you know... Oh, I hope my favorite characters don't get out. I hope the jaw is okay. You know, it's, <laughs> and then, you know, and then, you know, they, they they immediately they immediately take Jordy out of the red shirt next season just to make <laughs> it extra safe. <laughs> Although, actually, no, gold shirts are red shirts now. Oh my god, they put him in a gold shirt. He's gonna <laughs> die. I don't know. Actually, you know what should have really scared you was they made him the chief engineer, and in season one of TNG, they had that friggin' rotating cycle of chief yeah. engineers. Okay, including that poor one guy who just got himself absolutely wrecked. Oh, God. <laughs> so, but no, like, okay, I, I, 
again, you know, we're talking about different things. And I suppose it comes down to like what sort of stories do we get invested in? So yeah, you're yeah. Getting, your, your, your style of it is you get invested in these sort of these realistic takes, I guess. I get, I, where I get, sorry, more of a realistic representation in that sense, but also as soon as I spot it's following the formula, I tend to lose interest because it's following the formula. Unless there's something, that's with something remarkable about it. But as I say, you could watch 50 films before you get the remarkable one. Okay, so really random question then. Sort of like following on from that and following on from talking about Star Trek, are you actually excited for Strange New Worlds then? Because the whole talk around Strange New Worlds is they're going back to the more episodic yes. formula that Star Trek used to do. Okay, okay. So Yeah, because... Because it's that's what Star Trek is. Yeah, basically, because it's about it's not it's not about. If Strange New Worlds was um, okay, there's a zombie virus on the ship, and it's like you know that would be a different thing if that was the entire series story was then trying to survive the zombie virus. There's no warp or anything like that. Then that would be different. You know the characters are going to die. You expect it, but that's not what it's about. It's about visiting these new worlds. Or what I'm told anyway, from what I've picked up, and so it, it's a different thing. It is the episodic. What world, what culture, what representation of the human psyche are we going to see this episode? It's a different thing. So it depends on what the thing is about. And, you know, and the Star Trek is going back to, like I said, with the TNG, it's my comfort food. So, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to see going back to the old thing because that's what I grew up on. That's what I want to see again. Yeah, but only if it's done well. If we get to episode two and it's like, oh, shit, they fucked this one up as well. Um, yeah, I won't be happy then. But in theory, yeah. I'm absolutely looking forward to that. See, I'm, I don't trust the production team because as we talked about ourselves, like privately, I'm not a fan of like the stuff that they've done recently. Like the only Star Trek I've rated of the last three series that they've released was Lower Decks. I absolutely love Lower Decks. It's not perfect, but it feels like these are people who actually know Star Trek in a way yeah. that the other two series kind of don't. Yeah, you see, for um, me, with Lower Decks, it was just the humour really wasn't my kind of humour. And if you don't like the humour, then the episode's really difficult to sit through. So um, I couldn't really get into them. But like for me, like I don't trust them. Like as well as that, I'm one of that annoying breed of fanboy who's like, yeah, no, 23rd century Star Trek looks like 23rd century Star Trek and Discovery has not looked like 23rd century Star Trek. And okay, now you're going to tell me that we've got this pre-TOS thing where suddenly everything looks a million times more advanced and they're running around in these completely non-fitting uniforms. Like, like I, I joked on Twitter, I want a cage uniform. I don't care if it's their fucking Sunday, Sunday casual outfits. I don't care if they're literally wearing that to go to the fucking gym. I don't give a shit how they put it in there. Give me my velour turtleneck, damn you! And that sounds like a really superficial thing to say. I don't know, for me, I... I, I, it's easier for me, I suppose, to just accept that, you know, they're making this in the 21st century and they're making the best 21st century TV they can. Things are going to change. So it's just like, right, how much are they going to change? If they'd have made um, Spock blue, for example, I'd have been pissed off with that. I can handle the uniforms are going to be a bit different and this and that. But if they change, like, real fundamental stuff about characters and things, the thing you've got to remember as well is as soon as Gene Roddenberry got any money to make the movie, it changed shit. You know, it didn't change it because, oh, no, society's advanced and stuff. No, he got given money. So he's like, right, I can finally start doing stuff properly. You know, so it's not like it's not like now they're the first ones to actually change stuff because, you know, they did it way back in the olden days. And, you know, you know people, like, people, okay, okay, okay. 
people have said that people have said that argument my sort of counter argument to that is as much as gene roddenberry himself might have intended that the enterprise always looked like this and the uniforms always looked like this right and as weird as it seems that it's only been 18 months and it all looks really radically different and they've all aged 20 years because it's like nearly like years after they did it for me the thing that separates a change like discovery from a change like the motion picture is yeah the motion picture set after okay it's changed stuff has you know new uniforms have been brought in the technology has been updated and you know it's a bunch of touch screen panels on a slightly less colorful bridge sorry it's a bunch of like panels and stuff on a slightly less yeah, colorful but if bridge you, if you're happy to hand away that way then it's easy to say the exact same thing about discovery no yeah okay no yeah no. it's a few years okay. later you know the technology's changed the uniforms changed it's, it's the exact same thing mm, no okay no because one the enterprise we know what the enterprise is supposed to look like at that oh, well they, yeah of they course they're going to no. okay. they're going to no, change no. that they're not going to have like the model from the 60s i mean you just got to accept okay. that they're okay. going to okay. change no. some stuff okay okay first off no i don't gotta accept diddly squat <laughs> then don't okay. watch modern television then I mean, if they're gonna okay. make a okay. new okay. Star Trek, I, you're gonna okay. use okay no, 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 gonna no. Do can I, no can i can i can i just say that that okay right, okay right, right. let me rephrase it because i admit that sounded really dismissive and i apologize for that that's not how it was intended but they're making brand new star trek of course they're going to use modern technology and modern cgi and modern special effects to do it yeah but i'm not talking about using modern effects and modern CGI. what i'm talking about is you know, for example, okay, okay, a really thing, that, okay, I have my disagreements with the J.J. Abrams films, but I fucking love the uniforms on the Enterprise in the J.J. Abrams films, because you know what they did? They took the concept of the original uniforms uh, in, in the actually, original series. Actually, this is a, something that might be worth pointing out, actually, is Discovery was in part reacting to the J.J. Abrams films, because because they just released that and they had the uniforms done this way and they were trying to recreate the aesthetic in that way. When they made the TV show, it's like, well, if we do the same thing, then we're either going to A, look like we're copying them, or if we, people think we haven't done it as well, then they're going to say that we've tried to copy and we've failed. So I think there was a deliberate intention to go a slightly different way because the J.J. Abrams films had just come out. I mean, okay, I could be completely the, wrong, okay. but I do believe there was a reaction to it. I mean, wh whatever the reasons, like, the thing is, there is absolutely nothing conceptually wrong with the idea of, like, fucking turtlenecks and black trousers as uniforms. You can do subtle things with the design, you know, that keep it the spirit whilst changing, you know, changing the details enough to make it look better on modern television. Or, alternatively, one thing that I really loved in the novels that were coming out around the time this first season of Discovery was coming out was there was a novel where the crew of the USS Shenzhou met the crew of the USS Enterprise under Captain Pike. And it's described that the Enterprise looks like the Cage Enterprise with the Cage uniforms and everything that's going on there. They have special uniforms and special duties like they ended up doing in Discovery. All right. OK, so that's what they look like. OK, they looked like this. We haven't changed canon. It's just that the Discovery and all these other blue jumpsuit people, they're on different duties. So they're wearing different uniforms. OK, and at that point I was like, OK, I can live with that. Now the problem is you then get to series two where they're like, okay, we now want to make the Enterprise a massive part of the story. We now want to make Captain Pike a massive part of the story. But again, conceptually speaking, you know, if <laughs> I mean, for a, for a kickoff, the, the, only, the only uniforms we see from the Enterprise are the uniforms that Pike and his little away team of dickhead red shirt, sorry, 
dickhead blue shirt and red shirt lady. Yeah. All right. They're the, they're the only uniforms we see. Okay. Apart from Pikes himself. There would have been nothing. And they're only in that for an episode. And for the rest of it, Pike is wearing the blue jumpsuit. There would have been nothing stopping them from having a slightly more like detailed, like Abrams style, you know, colored turtleneck with black trousers. I mean, literally, if they just had a turtleneck instead of the discovery jacket with, you know, recolored discovery jacket, there's nothing stopping them. Conceptually, those designs are fine. Conceptually, those designs oh, are bloody fine. The you know, thing stopping them might be that they did those designs and thought, actually, they look rubbish. Just, you know, throwing it out there that we don't know what's been scrapped, what they actually played around with. But at the end of the day, it's a visual medium. And they may have looked and thought, no, we can't go with this design. You know, it's, we don't know what was on there. I'll tell you, my big gripe with the actual, um, that side of it, ignoring stories, whether they did the character well or this and that. My big gripe is, what's with that huge fucking hollow vacuum in the middle that the turbo lifts go through? What is that all about? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, 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 big, the big vacuum that's actually that. bigger than the fucking spaceship itself? You know, that thing that's bigger than Discovery? What the fuck? Yeah, this is the turbo lift going through the blackness of fucking space. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. No, you no, need no, a no, fucking warp drive to get to the other end of it. It's fucking, Jesus. Yeah. No, it's like, oh, yeah, here's the turbo lift. They're going on little fucking roller coaster rails. Yeah. And we're going to build this spaceship. And we're going to build it this big just to house an empty cavern that the turbo lift can go around. What? It makes no oh, sense goodness. on any level whatsoever. I don't know what fucking yeah. designer came up with that, whether it came from production or someone on the design team. You know, someone said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there were like these rails going through it? No, it wouldn't. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, and you see, to go back to your previous point about and what if they just looked at that design and thought it was stupid, you talk about the same people who thought that was a good idea. So I don't really rate their opinions very highly, to be brutally honest. I don't really fucking rate their opinions on I'm whether also, that looks... But I, I'm also... Um, when I was younger, I used to read 2000 AD comics. I think I mentioned this to you before. And in 2000 AD, Judge Dredd was the regular every week. 2000 AD, Judge Dredd would be in there. But different artists drew Judge Dredd and the judges' uniforms and Mega City One slightly differently. So with each artist, just like, oh, I wonder what Mega City One's going to look like by this artist. I wonder what the uniform's going to look like with this artist. You know, is Judge Dredd going to be all wrinkly or is it going to be smooth skin, things like that? So there were changes all the way through it. So I think. For me, I kind of got used to seeing, I wonder what this artist's vision of the world is like. So, I don't know, because I had that so much growing up, and not just with Judge Dredd, but like the other recurring characters and recurring storylines. Um, yeah, I would, see, I would see that all the time. So I think I kind of got used to that with the comics, where 2008, they allowed artists to be free with the visuals, as long as it's the same basic thing. You know, they, they weren't too strict, and too strict. And some of them like really varied quite far. So for me, I'm quite happy to sort of see, okay, I wonder if... Uh, the new Star Trek series that's coming out, on what this artist's vision of this world is going to be. And so, um, yeah, for me, that's not so much of an issue. And I, I mean, I mean to see what it's like, but, but when Discovery first came out, it's like, oh, right, it's not just the blue jumpsuits, being like all like the gold and silver tassels. I'm not a fan of that, but it's like, oh, I get it. They're going for that kind of feel. All right, fine. Yeah. Oh, I get it now. Disco. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that particular thing, but yeah, I get it. All right. I mean, I mean, if I might be brutally honest, what I think they were going for was, hmm, every other science fiction program has dark ships and blue uniforms. Let's look like them. They were successful. Battlestar Galactica, for example. Blue well, uniforms with dark interiors. Well, I think it's... Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say Discovery's got particularly dark interiors, apart from the bridge isn't very well, let's suppose. But 
but the blue uniforms, it's more just that they're based on like military jumpsuits. That's all. It's like, how do we take the jumpsuits, the flight suits that they wear in the RAF or the um, American Air Force? How do we take that and make it like a sci-fi version of those flight suits? And it's like mm. doing the same thing of like, oh, let's make it blue with goldy tasselly bits. And See, it's interesting. A lot of people are complaining about, uh, have you seen the new uniforms that they're wearing at the end of season three? The grey ones? Uh, yeah. See, I quite like those. You know, a lot of people hate them because they're very similar to the motion picture uniforms. And I sort of see where they're coming from. But actually, and I think the thing is, for me, what I like about those is, yeah, they're radically different than any of the uniforms we've had previously. But of course they are. They're from the far future. You're allowed to be radically different in the far future. And more to the point, you know, they're radically different whilst maintaining. There's a lot about that uniform that is still very much a Star Trek uniform, you know? So, like, my problem, with, my problem with Discovery's design choices to a certain degree is they made the decision, we are going to make this thing and we're going to set it here, 23rd century. I think right? that was a mistake but full stop before they did anything because it's like, do that if you've got a canon storyline that interests you and you want to follow. But to do that and then not really address anything of the canon history of Star Trek, that was the big mistake. So. Yeah, we're going to set it here, but we're not going to follow any of that stuff. No, but like no, the thing is to do that and then to introduce a character who is yet another un unmentioned sibling of Spock's that they have to lazily hand write out at the end of yeah, season two. Uh, and then and then to fucking like and then, yeah, we're going to set it in the 23rd century and then have almost nothing about the aesthetic or the storytelling really make it unique to the 23rd century. All right. We're not going to do like if you're going to go back to the 23rd century, for example. OK. Why not go retro? Why not make that part of the selling point? We are deliberately making these designs. Yeah, they're fit for modern standards, but let's make them deliberately retro as well because we're going back to the 23rd century. It's a deliberate selling point. No, they just made it generically looking science fiction with a bit of a Trek bent. Like they no, could have I mean, made it. No, they again, could have made again, it in Star Trek Picard's era and it wouldn't again, have looked um, too wrong. Again, I really do think that they were reacting to the Abrams films and they didn't want to be compared to that. So I think that I think that there was a conscious decision of, right, we can't do the old style uniforms because they've just done the films and we need to look different to that. Because those films, that's what modern versions of the uniforms will look like. We need to do something different. I, I really do believe that's what the that's what they did. Um, I could be completely I mean, wrong. I I've never read a single thing that says that, that was the well, like, no, they wouldn't have never... they, you know, they're no, not gonna come out the... and say that we could we couldn't do that. You know, but like the thing is like Regardless, there is nothing about Discovery that says this has to be set in the 23rd century. No. Like you play, no. you play Star Trek Online, for example. Star Trek Online has a war with the Klingons. If you want to make a fucking war with the Klingons, go to the 26th century. All right. Go to the 25th century. Go to like post Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, let's face it. The fact that they didn't have to change the bridge set at all, apart from the Elkars interface for when Riker was on the bridge of the Zhang He. All right. Fucking, fucking being Captain Riker. The fact that that's literally just Discovery's bridge with the 24th century Elkars things on their little LCD monitors. All right. That goes to show how distinctive to the 23rd century Discovery is. All right. And this is the thing. Like, whether you, whether you are slavishly faithful to it or whether you just keep the color schemes but modernize the interfaces and stuff, the 23rd century look, should look different than the 26th century. You know? The 23rd century should not, you should not literally have interchangeable bridge sets between two centuries, for I mean, God's sake. I think, 
I think the problem is you're looking at it from the fan perspective, whereas the actual set designers, they're looking at it from a different perspective of how do we make this look futuristic to us now in real world? So that's just like a modern world sci-fi representation of stuff rather than, you know, the fan version of I want to see the old style enterprise. And that goes back to the producers who said, no, we want to do something that's new and fresh in 21st century. We don't want to be doing that thing, which I totally agree. They shouldn't have said it then. It should not have been set in that era. I mean, the um, thing is, the thing is as well, from my perspective, there's a certain position that I take, which is you go into an established franchise, all right? And you're not the person who, you know, first laid down the, the foundations of this established franchise. You're given power to do whatever you want. Okay, cool. But just because you're given the power to do whatever you want, does that then mean that you should do everything you want, including changing some of the fundamentals of things like aesthetic, character, the way the story is told? No. Okay, so for example, for example, look at Doctor Who. When Doctor Who was brought back, there was nothing stopping Russell T. Davis from going, nobody knows what the fuck a police box looks like. All right. And the TARDIS does not have to have a six centered in six sided interior console. Yeah. But he kept that shit. I know he, in he the, kept the back in the eighties, they were talking about doing, you know, when it got canceled. Um, so there's like the brief cancellation of Doctor Who, then it came back and then it got canceled for good. In that brief cancellation, I think it was around about there. They were talking of rebooting it and it was going to be like a, a red British telephone box, but you know, the windows were going to be blacked out. And so, so yeah, at one point they were going to reboot it and change the police box, but yeah, that's really iconic. But I mean, I agree with you. If I was like given the keys to Star Trek and told, you know, do the thing, I'm, but I'm a fanboy, I would be totally faithful to it. But because TNG was more my era, I mean, I'd love the original series as well. I'd probably be doing something that's more TNG, so that sort of style. But I'd still be faithful to what's been seen, basically. That, that's my point. But there are a lot of people out there who, who do take the opposite point of view of, no, you've been given this job to do what you want. Not that you can do what you want, there, are a lot of, there is the opinion that you are given the job to do what you want. And so they, they take it as that's my job. That's what I'm being employed to do is to do what I want and to do my vision. Now, I disagree I mean, with, with a long running franchise because it's a long running franchise. And, you know, I, I really think you should stick to the core of what it is. But unfortunately, there is that ethos in the world and especially in Hollywood producers because they are notoriously egotistical that, right? No, you are the showrunner. Okay, showrun it. Go on. You can do what you want. You must do what you want. We've given you all this money to do what you want. Go showrun. I mean, I mean, I mean, having said all that, like stepping a bit away from like the fanboy urge to just be pissed off that it doesn't look properly like the original Enterprise. I like the Discovery Enterprise. It's a nice design in general. You know, yeah. apart from you know, the in turbo list. <laughs> Apart from the no, actually, no, that's Discovery's turbo list. We never see the Enterprise's turbo list. Oh, sorry, yeah, so sorry, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like the Enterprise, I like her corridors. I like, and it's weird. For all that they've modernized her, you can see that they've at least tried to make it look like it could be the same ship one day. You know, they've got yeah. the corridors that are, the corridors are more the right size, for example. Yeah, I mean, it's and, like the, the bridge is just a, a modern version of the old design. Um, they've, they've got they've got they've got the cage chairs <laughs> that's the thing that really sticks with me is those things are notoriously uncomfortable but they've got the cage chairs for number one's chair i like that like you know that's uh see this is this is the thing is that you know part of me thinks that they shouldn't be setting a series on pike's enterprise because you know they've changed a lot and it, yeah, it alters I mean, the it, it looks like they're 
I mean, Discovery has got a big fan base, but it's got a lot of critics. And I think that they have listened to the critics with what they're doing now with Pike and you know the Enterprise crew and going forward. I say it looks like that's what they're doing. Uh, it looks like this is a series that's been specifically tailored to those fans who wanted that show to start with. Um, obviously, we'll have to wait and see what they deliver, but it looks like that's what the actual premise of the show is. Is like, right, I mean, I'm not going to lie. We tried the other thing with Discovery, and you know, some people love it, but then there's this part of the fan base that don't love it. Let's do this show for them. That's my take of it. That's me. That's me not being naive. That's me being opti- optimistic and fingers crossed. I hope that's what they're doing. I mean, the thing is, what I would say is Star Trek always has to have a flagship show, which is captain, crew, ship, boldly go. All right. And that's the show that Star Trek should lead with always. But once you've got that show, there's nothing stopping you from then going, OK, we've got that. Let's make DS9 now. Let's let's do something radically yeah. different. Let's really shake it up. But the thing is, Star Trek has always got to have Star Trek first foot forward which is, you know, yeah, it's a little formulaic at times, but Star Trek has to have Star Trek going out there and boldly going and doing episodic adventures, which is, I think, one of the reasons Lower Decks was so well-received is, quite apart from the Rick and Morty humour, it's a family of crew members, you know, it's a crew of characters that you hopefully like, who, you know, they come together, they solve problems episodically almost, you know, to do with boldly going to other planets and doing shit, you know? That's something that the fan base has been starved of because that's the core of what Star Trek is. Like, I once wrote a hypothetical pitch for what Star Trek is. And what in my hypothetical pitch, the first thing I wrote is, let's bring it right back to fucking basics. The Enterprise, the captain, the crew. That's it. That's, that's the show. All right? You can, you can be a little bit more serialized with it. You can have a long-going story arc if you really want to have one. But Star Trek is about a starship called the Enterprise run by Starfleet floating about in space, meeting people and zapping bad guys and having some philosophical debates where they convince an android yeah. to kill themselves. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is what I like about the original series and then in TNG, I think they realised, I, re- I think they realised that in the original series, some of the stuff that was working as a general thing was that you're looking at the Enterprise is like one body, one brain, and the different characters are like different parts of the psyche. And that's why, you know, it's like, you have like Kirk and Spock and McCoy debating what to do and all that kind of, that kind of thing. And then like, you know, you have like a, an alien race that represents another, you know, part of the human psyche again. So how does the brain react to this outside influence and that kind of thing? And I think with TNG, they sort of realized that. And so they expanded the crew to represent more parts of the psyche and so on. But then they also had not just the, um, you know, the, the episodic thing, but they had like the serialized stuff of, you know, the characters, like certain romances going on, that kind of thing. And that's why TNG is, Kind of better for me because they realised with the original series, ooh, that's what works really well. Let's expand on that. Once they found the feet, as I say, I'm going through the first series right now and it's a bit... So, um, yeah, I think with TNG, even that didn't really hit the floor running kind of thing. I think that took a while to actually get going properly. But once they found the footing, that works really well. Uh, to be honest, I think that's what I was hoping for with Discovery. And as much as I, lo- I do love a lot about Discovery, I'm mean, sat here slagging it off for God knows how long now, but there's a lot that I do actually really like about Discovery. But, um, but I'm still waiting for it to find its feet and, you know, and set off running, which it hasn't for me yet. And I don't think it's going to, to be honest. No, but part of the problem with Discovery is, okay, for example, Star Trek The Next Generation has a concept and it sticks with that concept, even though it's, you know, improving over the third three seasons, you know, the initial three, four seasons. Yeah. Okay. Discovery first season 
Captain Lorca, war. And then, oh, halfway through that, no, Mirror Universe, Lorca is Trump. He's gone. You know, okay. Oh, uh, oh, uh, uh, And then it's Discovery Season 2. Red Angels, Captain Pike. Oh, okay. Is this what Discovery is now? No. Pike is going back to the Enterprise. Red Angel, done. Future. Season 3. Future. Federation, gone. And it's like, it's not found its feet, I think, because D- TNG had a concept and it stuck with it for three fucking seasons of 20 episodes each, you know, to say, okay, you know, we're developing, we're getting better at telling this story. Whereas Star Trek Discovery... To to, to try and be fair to it, though, look at it from the point of view of the episodic thing. Instead of being episodes, it's like each series. So this series is this, this series is this, series is this. I'm not saying it's necessarily turned out perfectly, but I suppose looking at it that way... Rather than being episode by episode, it's more series by series. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to sort of uh, put a positive spin on it because the thing that I do like about it is that there are a lot of characters that I do like in it. I'm not saying that they're all perfect. I'm not saying that they're all well-developed or three-dimensional. There's a lot of two-dimensional people in there. There's a lot of background cast that shouldn't be having lines. That, but, you know, it's like, why are you giving background guy a line instead of giving it to the main person to further flesh out their motives and so on? But But... I do like a lot of the characters in there, and I like a lot of the actors as well. I think they're doing a lot of really good work in there. So I enjoy it from that point of view. I enjoy the characters that I like watching, and I enjoy the actors that I like doing good work as well. Even if it's just like, you know, little things, little subtle things, it's like, oh, I caught that. I saw that look you just did. You know, little things like that, which, yeah, it's enough to keep me going back to it at the moment. But to be honest, it's not really grabbed me as a series. And I think that's, that's the fairest I can be to it. I mean, I mean, for me, part of my problem is... It's, it's, all, it's all and good to like a lot of these characters, but if you don't like the main character, you know, that's where it starts to fall down. And I don't like the main character. I liked mm-hmm. Captain Lorca, and I liked Captain Pike, and I like a lot of the supporting cast, but I don't like Michael Burnham. See, I liked... I kind of liked her, the character in the first series, but I didn't like the way that it was that, you know, the hero logic of you're going to go there because you're the main character, and you're going to get out of this because you're the main character. And then they've sort of doubled down on that in the second series with, oh, Red Angel, oh, by the way, it's your mother, because you're the main character. And it's all... I know. It's like two... And now it's you. (laughs) Yeah, but um, anyway, we have been talking about Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery for a long time now. And um, by my clock, I believe it's wine o'clock. So uh, I think maybe we should be wrapping up and uh, perhaps moving on. Oh, just just possibly, yeah. Let's let's talk about (laughs) something else. Let's talk about something else. (laughs) Um. I'm not sure if you've got anything that you want to talk about in particular. If there's anything you've oh. seen or... I mean, mainly the main thing I've been doing is I've been rereading comics. You know, so in my spare time. No, I've been... So, what... I have totally not been pirating comics. No sorry, Bob. <laughs> um, no, we would never condone such a thing on this channel. Exactly. Uh, but I have been... So, I read All-Star Superman, and then I read The Death of Superman, like the whole story of The Death of Superman. And just, it was really interesting. So first off, to pull some pins out about some stuff. So there, were, there was a couple of pins that I had in, wasn't there? Yes. So one of, the, one of them was Jeff Johns and, um, and all the racism stuff, basically. So here's the thing. So Jeff Johns was one of the people hired to oversee uh, Joss Whedon, along with, uh, I think, John Berg was his name. And Jeff Johns is also... Oversee Joss Whedon. Sorry, not oversee uh, Zack Snyder, I should say. Uh, and he brought Joss Whedon in. And Jeff Johns, according to Ray Fisher, has been an absolute racist dickbag. 
So, no. So, Ray Fisher recently released this statement basically to the effect of, uh, yeah, racism happened. And, you know, I was not... The reason that I didn't come out earlier about this was some of this stuff was stuff people told me about. So, it's not just my personal experience. It's stuff other people have told me about. And uh, he then went on to say, apparently, Jeff Johns came out with something to the effect of we ha can't have as much cyborg in this movie as is currently in it because we don't want to have an angry black man at the center of the movie. Right. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. So uh, this is the which thing, also, though, is which, that... Which, which also begs the question, did he actually see the footage from the Snyder, Snyder Cut? Because I would not describe Victor as just an angry black man. That's... Really I mean, if I maybe... Okay, if I may be brutally honest, Joss Whedon's cut of Justice League does far more black character cliches than, you know, the, the character cliché. Like, there are no black character cliches in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I thought was really, you know, like, if anything, like, I think race was something that was part of their characters. So you've got, like, the teacher talking down to his mother because she's a black woman, presumably. That's part of it. Yes. And Dr. you've got... Stone, thank you. Yeah, and you've got, like, for example... Um, You've got, uh, you've got like Silas Stone having to explain, you know, yeah, I, I work here. I'm the head of the project, you know, and, you know, I wrote these projects. You know, I, I wrote these guidelines. You've got that. Yeah. And that can be a subtle hint to he's having to explain that he wrote them because he's a guy in a shabby trench coat and he's a black guy. I like that because that's realistic depictions of racism without making it, you know, cartoonish or overbearing. Yeah. And equally, I like, I like the fact that you don't have a character who's just every black teen cliche under the fucking sun. With, with Victor Stone, it's really, you know, realistically, it's a story that you, you kind of have to tell with a black guy, but it's not necessarily a story that hangs its lantern on him just being a black guy, quote unquote, which I, which I quite like about that. But yeah, hearing that, reading that was just like, oh, wow. You know, like, like you think you've shot that stuff out. And then, and yeah. then even now, like, like, like the head of Warner Brothers right now has come out and said, Oh, our independent investigation hasn't found anything to do with racism. Yeah, your totally independent investigation, I believe, yeah. you bitches. <laughs> like, yeah, like, the one you that, um, that Ray Fisher was tweeting about at the time of, I haven't spoken to an independent you know, yeah. investigator. Mm, God. Um, so, well, what was the other thing I put a pin in about? Um, you know, I can't remember now. We've, uh, we've talked way too much. I think in future, if we put a pin in something, we should go back to it straight away after we've spoken about the thing that we're talking oh, I, about right then. I, I should make a note of it. I have a smartphone for a reason. Notes <laughs> are good. But yeah. Um, but no, like just to sort of go back to that, it's like, you know, hearing stuff about that is... Oh, sorry, just remind me. Speaking of... Um, speaking of the angry black man um, in the thing... Uh, Remember, one of the things I've been watching as well is uh, American Gods, which has uh, a black man as the lead character. And uh, he's not so much an angry black man at the moment. But uh, you get introduced to uh, the character at the beginning. Uh, he's a guy. He's just got out of prison. And then another guy employs him. I'll, I'll do the quick version of it. Another guy employs him. This other guy turns out to be Odin, you know, the god Odin, that one. And so, uh, but then it turns out that the manipulation's gone along and uh, they start until over and they go their separate ways. But by this point, um, the black guy finds out that Odin is actually his father. And it's like, oh, right. So his father, Odin, white guy, um, who's also, by the way, been taken by European white supremacists, or, you know, white supremacists, sorry, should I say. So 
the fact that um, you know the Odin and the Norse mythology is being used by white supremacists in the modern you know far right groups, and now he's like the father of a black guy in American Gods, which is you know kind of nice. But um, but the the black guy, the black actor, the black character, he's obviously father Odin, mother is a black woman, so he's got this other heritage which is from the black gods, the African gods that came over with the slaves and all the rest of it. And the most recent series has been sort of him connecting with that. And so he's sort of like drifting away from Odin. He's like going his separate ways from Odin, uh, or Wednesday, Mr. Wednesday, as I call him in the show. And he's sort of getting in touch with his African roots and the African gods or goddesses. And in the most recent episode, um, Odin got killed, the prior episode. So the recent episode uh, that took him to the tree, um, I can never pronounce it, Yggdrasil, and uh, the life tree. So they, they put Odin down there and then he... Uh, the character Shadow is called. Uh, Shadow has to hold vigil over him by getting uh, tied to the tree. Well, because he has like you know God blood in him, he's like, no, I can be there for nine days. It won't kill me. It's fine. Um, but basically, the tree kind of pierces his flesh, so he like bleeds and he basically dies. But that works as a blood sacrifice to Odin to resurrect him. So it's all actually a trick by Odin to have his own sill, his own son, sorry, kill himself as a blood sacrifice to him, so he could be reborn with his full Odin powers. Because the Vikings aren't around anymore, so his powers have, you know, waned. And um, so, yeah, so it's all big a big trick. And so the last episode showed Shadow, the black guy, apparently dying and sort of crying as he realised he's been betrayed by his father just when he thought, you know, in, in, in his death, he was, like, you know, coming close to him in some way. Now, the reason I mention it is because I'm predicting that going forward, we're going to see some of that, him reconnecting with the African roots and the African gods and goddesses so I think he's going to come out of this um, more powerful than before kind of thing. And he's going to be now, rather than the son of Odin, I think he's going to be coming out as like the embodiment of the old African gods. So we're just coming off the back of the, um, you know, black people being dismissed on the, you know, the set of the Justice League and all the rest of it. I think that we're now getting a series um, in the American gods, which is going forward, which is going to be showing a very powerful black man. And uh, I don't just mean the fact he's big and muscular, but as in like a very powerful figure in the mythos. Isn't American Gods the one where where the, one of the actors was a black dude who got sacked and he said they didn't like the fact that I was an angry black man? Uh, that I couldn't tell you. I've not seen that story. There was um, another black character in there who was not being in this series, so that may be yeah. true. No, he was um, fired. My, my understanding was he was fired, and the reason he gave for why he was fired was the people in charge didn't want an angry black character. You know. So... Right, I yeah, speak to, I've not seen that story, so I couldn't speak that's, to that. That's some, that's something that's something for us to put a pin in for next week, then, because no, that's I'll something you might want to look into. Um, yeah, because that's, I mean, oh god. Because American Gods is a show that, um, uh, oh, what's his name? It escapes me. The guy who was on Discovery, um, the original showrunner, when he left, it was to do American Gods originally. Um, Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller, that's it. So his name escapes me then. Uh, but then he ended up getting sacked off this because of his behaviour. Um, inappropriate behavior behind the scenes sort of thing um yeah which is why also there was a huge shift between season one and season two of discovery as well because brian fuller left to do american gods and other people took over um so i don't know what vision he originally had for season two of discovery and all the rest of it or indeed he didn't even of american gods no he was gone. the thing is season season one of discovery wasn't even really him because he left before they'd really started production properly yeah so, you know. Yeah, I think there was just uh, certain things that have been put in place that couldn't change, like, you know, some physical props and uniforms and maybe, I don't know. But, hmm. but anyway, yeah. Um, anyway, story-wise, I don't know about behind the scenes. Um, 
uh, stories. But, but yeah, story you, you, you think that that's going to be the case for that? Yeah, character. yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be, um, it's, going to be like, it's like embodiment of the uh, the, the African gods coming forward in, uh, in American gods now, and it's going to be it's going to be basically the African traditions that went over to America, where the European traditions had gone over and came together, and you know that conflict I think is going to be played out by Shadow being the embodiment of the African gods going against the old European gods, or you know an old white dude in this case. I think that's going to be mm. uh, what's happening towards the end of this season of American Gods. But that's just my prediction, and I could be completely off the mark. I usually am, I'll be honest. Fair enough. I haven't really watched... I mean, American Gods is sort of closer to the sort of thing that I feel like I should go watch at some I'll, point. I'll be perfectly honest. The first series was the most interesting. Then the last two series, they're good, but I've been watching them more because I got invested in the characters in the first series, so now it's sort of... I wonder where they're going with it. But the first series was, they were a lot more daring and a lot more creative. Uh, let's just put it that way. So like, you know, with, you know, because it's to do with deities and you know, supernatural, but it's not supernatural, it's to do with you know, the gods and deities and divinity. But it's like you know, going into the, uh, the world of the dead kind of thing and how they visually represented that. It, they were a lot more creative with the first series. Then like the second and third series, it's more, they repeated some of those things without actually being creative or bringing anything new to it. And um, yes, it's not been as enjoyable. The first series was really, really enjoyable from that perspective, kind of like, you know, trippy journey that you go on. Um, as the last ones have been a bit more, what's the word? Just a bit more mundane. Formulaic? Possibly not so much formulaic. It's still not been formulaic. It's just visually formulaic, maybe. You know, what they're actually visually, not story-wise, but visually, it's like, oh, what can we do for this? Here's an idea. Well, that's an obvious idea. Don't care. It's going in. You know, oh, okay. Whereas the first series, you, it's based on a book by Neil Gaiman. And um, Neil Gaiman's, um, you know, in his stuff that he writes himself, he's, you know, creatively brilliant. I know there's, they've adapted lots of his stuff that hasn't necessarily come to screen very well. Uh, but you can tell with the first series that they were basing a lot of it on his descriptions um, you can see that it's got like his DNA in the you know what's happening on screen. Whereas I think the second and third series are handing it over to the actual TV producers. Um, again, that's just my guess. I'm not in the room. I don't know. You know, I don't have any access to any news. But that's my opinion anyway. But what it's worth. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hmm. Oh yeah. No. Apart from that, though, uh, I've unpinned every pin that I can remember. We're gonna. Look back at this footage and we're going to remember what that other pin was and we're going to be annoyed at ourselves for not talking about it, I'm sure. Well, but, we can uh, pin, it into, pin it into next week's episode. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up here because it says that we've been going at this Zoom for two hours, 40 minutes nearly. So, wow. yeah, that's a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I think there was a chunk at the beginning when I was uh, going to get my uh, tea and stuff like that, but uh, that won't be in the, uh, what's published on YouTube. Thank God. <laughs> I don't think that was a very interesting segment, to be honest. It was no. just, you know, sort of sitting there waiting. Yeah, I'll but yeah. But yeah, so uh, as ever, as ever, we have been uh, Jed and Anthony. Uh, you can go follow us on Twitter if you really feel the need to. I am at Jed Was Here. And I'm at AK Treasure One. You can also follow us on Fifth Observatory on Facebook and on our various YouTube channels. All of the links will be in the description below. Or if you're watching this on... Um, if you're watching, no, if you're listening to this on all of the various Spotify's, etc., etc., uh, then just look up the Fifth Observatory on YouTube and follow us from there to sort of find out other stuff that we do. And uh, 
I think, yeah, maybe not next week, but in the next couple of weeks, maybe we should talk a bit more about the stuff that we do. Because I feel like we talk about the stuff we do as referencing and stuff, but actually it might be worth talking about the stuff we do in more depth. Certainly, yeah, sure. So, plus, to be fair, if I'm not going to be watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I don't know that there's going to be much pop culture stuff to talk about next week, unless Justice League 2 gets announced, please. No, but yeah. I know, I know next week I'll be... I'll be wanting to talk about Snowpiercer, um, which is a show, oh, that, yes. a show that I really love. But this week, there's been no Snowpiercer, which I'm very sad about. Uh, for some reason, they decided to do the finale as a two-parter. Fair enough. They've just taken the two episodes and put them together. But instead of doing them both this week, they decided to hold them this them. week and put them both out next week. I'm assuming it's because they had a contract where the last episode has to be released on a certain date. So they couldn't bring that one forward, but they could hold this week's back. So either way, it's gonna. It's sad for me this week. I had no Snowpiercer this week, but next week, double Snowpiercer. So, uh, so uh, forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Snowpiercer and possibly talking about ourselves. Fantastic. So and, uh, yeah, I'll tell, and I'll tell you if uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldiers um, picked up. Anyway. Getting better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we never even got to talk about Wonder Vision, so we'll put that. Uh, we'll put a pin in that, and we'll talk about Wonder Vision. So, yeah. I, I'll, a retrospective yeah. on one division. Let's do that. Yeah. Why not? Why not? So anyway, thank you everybody so much for watching slash listening. Uh, all details, etc., in various descriptions. F L. Bye. Bye. Bye.